All right. This is it. This is the big episode. We're finally doing it. We're finally doing it. Because this is what the whole show has been building up to. There was an idea to bring together a group of remarkable people to see if they could become something more. To see if they could work together when we needed them to, to fight the battles that we never could. Matt, what are we talking about today? Guardians of the Galaxy. I hate you so much. (laughs) No, we're talking about more than just that. What are we talking about? We're talking about the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe. Oh, I like those movies. I like those (laughs) movies a lot. I I didn't know that's what today was. That's today. Are you ready? I, I guess so. All right. You, you could you could wake me up at three in the morning and I'd be ready for this conversation. <laughs> Meanwhile, I've been prepping for like weeks. <laughs> I just I just want to make sure I get. I feel like I have a lot to say and I want to make sure I get it all out. We can't miss anything. <laughs> this, this is it. This is this is what all of our fans are waiting for. Basically, Matt Iandoli. Yes. Let's talk about the MCU. Let's do it. All right, so where where should we start? I I feel like I I know where I want to start, but if you have, do you have any opening statements? Um, not a ton of opening statements, other than I think there's a lot to love about these movies and this universe, but there's uh a lot to criticize or improve upon going forward, and I think we're gonna learn a lot about what those things are, and I think uh, I'm really excited to. To figure out where we disagree, I think that'll be the most interesting parts of these conversations. But as a whole, I absolutely adore this franchise. I I agree. Um, I agree with a lot of what you said. I think it'll be interesting to see where we disagree. I think it'll be interesting to see uh, what our criticisms are of the franchise. And I I think on some level, um, this is sort of going to become a conversation probably later on at least about like just superhero movies in general and like the explosion of superhero movies because it all kind of it kind of came from this right um and you know the the reason that we're gonna criticize this is because we love it right Mm -hmm. that's we we love it we enjoy it we get a kick out of it um but it's because we love it so much that like i think we're gonna have a lot of critiques so (laughs) this should be fun I'm excited. So I kind of, I kind of just wanted to start, but like I felt like I want to walk through like a little bit, just quickly, down to the history of superhero movies. Is that is that a yep. good idea? I think that's a good place to start. I mean, because like I think about, I sort of think about the history of superhero movies. I think you could condense it down to three Batman movies. The first okay. being Batman 1966. Adam West. It's very campy it's very silly it's very slapstick it's like people who don't understand comic books and superhero stories trying to do it it's you know what i mean it's just like it's like an executive somewhere just being like what are the kids into these days they're into these superhero movies they're into the batman make a make a movie based you know what i mean like that's what it feels like to me so i've never actually seen this movie is i thought this was a show is it a show and a movie it's a show and a movie okay okay yeah but and 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 but they're all the same thing. It's all the same feel, right? You know, I don't yeah, think I've actually seen the movie, but I've seen episodes of the show, and I've probably I think I've seen clips of the movie. It's all kind of it's an all in the same thing. 
We've all seen the costume. Yeah. <laughs> it's a great costume. <laughs> it's brilliant. Um, and then, like, in the 70s, there was, like, one good Superman movie that everyone liked. And then that kind of went downhill when they tried to make sequels on that. And then we get to uh, 1989's Batman. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tim Burton did Batman. Sorry, Michael Keaton. And I don't think it's a great movie. I think I think it's fine. Okay? I know there's a lot of people who love it and act like it's one of the greatest superhero movies, one of the best Batman movies. Personally, I think it's like... This to me is where they're starting to try to take the movie seriously. They're not trying to do Mm -hmm. it silly. They're not trying to be slapstick about it. It's like, to me, it's like, oh, they're they're going for something more serious here. I don't think they're pulling it off, but they're trying. Right. I've actually I've actually never seen this movie either. It's it's interesting for that reason. I think. You know, I don't think I've seen any Batman movies before Batman Begins. Okay, well, that's so. Let me. We'll get to there in a second. But so, so those are the. That's the second Batman movie that I think is kind of a turning point in superhero movies because it's like mm-hmm. they're starting to kind of take this seriously, but they don't quite have it worked out yet. Then they do Batman Returns, which is completely bonkers, off the wall, bad and terrible. And there's people who love it because they think it's fun, but it's like it's a, it's a mess. Then they continue the Batman movies without Michael Keaton, without Tim Burton. Joel Schumacher starts doing it. It becomes these four movies, and each movie gets more and more silly and slapstick and wacky, and it it just it's it's it becomes very silly. Okay, they went back to the sixties. They, they kind of did in a way. Yeah, I mean, it's like Jim Carrey is the Riddler and Arnold Schwarzenegger is Mister Freeze. Like it's crazy. Um, and then. And that's all taking place in the in the nineties. And at some point in the nineties, Marvel sells their film rights to Spider Man and X Men, right? And, I think. And Marvel I, is not doing well as a business at this time. That's the other thing they're, I was. They're like bring bleeding up. money. Oh, oh yeah, totally. They are they are bleeding money. I think in ninety six or ninety seven, they actually file for Chapter Eleven bankruptcy, and they 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 come back from it but they file they're going bankrupt like they file for bankruptcy like the company's mm-hmm. bleeding money and so they have the x-men which is like like spider-man and x-men are like the most popular characters they sell the x-men oh and the fantastic four they sell that to fox they sell spider-man to sony and of course the the story with that is funny because they didn't want to sell spider-man cause it's like their number one character and sony's like we want to buy spider-man they're like you know we'd really rather not because it's it's our it's our biggest one. We don't we don't want to let it go. You know how about we offer you Captain America and Black Panther and Thor and like like all these characters that are now huge. They're like, why don't we offer you all of these characters? It was like five characters they offered to Sony, and and they're like, you can have all these characters for like twenty five million, like total. You, you could, but but we want to keep Spider Man, and Sony was like, we don't care. We want Spider. We don't like the that quote from a Sony executive was. No one gives a shit about any of the other Marvel characters. Go back into a deal just for Spider-Man. <laughs> so that's it's what they true did. at the time. At the time, that's what happened. So that that so that happens. Those purchases or licensing deals happen while you know Schumacher is doing Batman, and it's becoming very silly. Okay, in the year two thousand, we get the first Fox X Men movie, uh, where I think Kevin Feige is actually a producer. Um, I, th- I think maybe even uncredited. <laughs> wow. But um, yeah, so then, you know, we get the X-Men movie, which is 
again, I think sort of in the same vein as Tim Burton's Batman, which is like they're trying to do something real and serious here, but they don't quite have it worked out. And they're like, you know, every character, they're, they're trying to do that thing with like, oh, we're going to call the characters by their real names, you know, not their superhero names. But also we, they do have superhero names, so we got to kind of cram them in there. And it, it's very awkward and clunky the way they do it. Like, right. you know, so – you know, so the X-Men movies start coming out in the in the early 2000s. In 2002, we get the first Spider-Man movie from Sony, which is the, the Tobey <sighs> Maguire one. Okay. Yeah. And uh, and uh, so between and between the X-Men movies and the Spider-Man movies, it's a, it's a big hit. These these are big hits, especially Spider-Man and especially Spider-Man 2 in 2004. There's still people who reference Spider-Man 2 as like one of the greatest superhero movies of all time. Right. See episode three of this podcast. Uh, yes, yes, we we agree that I don't I don't think these are very good movies. I don't think the early X Men movies are very good, but they're big hits because it's like, oh, here's someone trying to do superheroes seriously. And again, I think in retrospect, these kind of fail. These kind of fall apart. But I I was actually looking at some of the box office numbers for like these early two thousand years. Mm-hmm. Every year that the Spider Man movies came out, it was like. Either number one or two global box office, or maybe just domestic box office. Like it was always either Spider Man two or Shrek. They were both <laughs> up there together, which is really funny. I, I guess I didn't realize how th- those movies were really the movies of the year when they were coming out. Yeah, they 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 were huge. I mean that that kind of this was kind of the start of like okay, everyone's going to make a superhero. This was sort of the beginning of it. I mean, it, I mean. Superhero movies that were not just Batman. It's like, okay, there's going to be some X-Men. There's going to be some Spider-Man, you know. Um, and then the movie I want to point out, which also comes out in 2004, same year as Spider-Man 2, is Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. Now, do you know why I'm pointing out this movie? I don't, but I think you're going to make a good point because it's you, a good movie. <laughs> you just watched this recently, coincidentally. I did. I, I, yeah, I just finished the book and I watched the movie. <laughs> um. But here's what's what's interesting about the Harry Potter series. When they were first saying, okay, we're going to do a movie series based on Harry Potter. Uh, We're going to do seven movies, you know, seven books, seven movies, and we're going to get the same guy to do all seven movies. So it's going to be like this cohesive thing. And that was sort of the, the traditional, typical Hollywood thinking of like, let's just get the same guy to do all the movies in a franchise. And so they got, they get Chris Columbus who did Home Alone. Right. Mm-hmm. And he so he's going to do all seven of the Harry Potter movies. Of course, at the time, seven later became eight, but it was going to be seven. And so he does Philosopher's Stone. He does Chamber of Secrets, neither of which I think are particularly great. Uh, I don't think they're super interesting. I don't think they're very well directed. Um, I just don't think they're very good movies. OK, I, well, I, I like and, them. Uh, fine, but I don't think Chris Columbus is a very good director. I don't think he's a particularly visual director. I don't think he's very innovative. I don't. I just. I'm not a fan of him, really. So, Chris Such Columbus, a Columbus hater. I, I am a Columbus hater. <laughs> Title. <laughs> um. So, after two Harry Potter movies, Chris Columbus is like, okay, I realize this is a lot of work. I still got five movies to do. This is going to take me like a decade, uh, and. You know what? I just had kids. Like, I want to spend time with my family. At least that's the story he tells. So he drops out. He leaves the project. He's like, I'm done doing Harry Potter because it's, it's going to take so much time. I'm starting a family. I, I don't want to do this. So Warner Brothers is like, all right, well, who, who do we get? Like, what, what are we going to do? So 
they ask they ask a couple people. At one point, they asked like Guillermo del Toro to do it. Like they're oh my god, yeah, like and, and, and he turns it down because he's like, I don't want to do that. Like you know, I think I think he was like, I don't want to work with kids. Like you know, so <laughs> so they ask a few different directors, um, and then they ask Alfonso Coran, who is not really super well known i think in in america at least or like in english filmmaking i think he does like a lot of spanish films and his movies like only one of his movies is like even a kids movie and he has like another movie about like brooding teenage sexuality and it's like what you're getting this why you're getting this guy to do harry potter like aren't these fun pg rated kids movies like this is a this is a weird pick. This is a weird choice, okay? But Alfonso Cuarón comes in, and he like totally changes the franchise. Like, he, like the whole style of filmmaking is different. Like, he has, uh, like, there's this is the first I think is the first Harry Potter movie where they're like actively cutting out and changing things from the book, like cutting out scenes yes. and sh- like. The script goes through changes, whereas the first two movies are almost like copy and pasted from the book, whereas this one is actually a little bit different. And so and like and like his whole visual style is different and like the way he like he he does the costuming different where the kids aren't like in their robes all the time. And even when they <laughs> are wearing jeans and sneakers, they're wearing like jeans and sneakers like but he's but he's also giving the characters personality through mm-hmm. the clothes they wear that are not their robes like Hermione's a badass, but she's not afraid to wear pink right right and like so so he kind of i think made a lot of changes like even even when they are in their robes like their shirts are untucked and they like he they don't know how to tie their tie like literally one of the actors was like i don't know how to tie a tie and he was like great i love it like because he's Perfect. like they should dress like 13 year olds and they should they should look like they're dressed like 13 year olds like so and mm-hmm. he came in and made a lot of changes to that franchise i think for the better and then he le- like and, and by the way had never read the books had never seen the other movies. Wow. Like, and he, and he that, just comes in. I did in, not know that. Yeah, and he just comes in. He's like, all right, I'm going to do this, right? And he does it his way. Like, he makes a movie his way, right? And it's different, and it adds it adds to the franchise, and I think it makes people – and I think it maybe, maybe even makes Warner Brothers feel like, oh, we don't need to have the same guy do the same movie every time. Now, eventually, I think – what was it? A movie or two later, they found David Yates, and he was like, I want to do all the rest of these. So, that, so he did. But that is an example of a studio hiring a director that you wouldn't really expect to do this movie and then changing the franchise for the better. Right. That's why I'm pointing out Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. Okay. Yeah. So that's 2004. Oh, there's there's a lot more I could say about that movie, but we'll digress. <laughs> save it. Save it for another show. <laughs> yeah. For for a Harry Potter episode, we, which we are gonna do. So that movie comes out 2004. 2005 is Batman Begins. I think this is where this is the third Batman movie that's like this is the third this is the third one that's like okay this is we figured it out. This is how we make superhero movies. Okay? I think this is one of the best Batman movies ever. I think this is one of the best superhero movies ever. I think I think the the both the MCU and the future DCEU both take a lot from this movie. Okay? And later mm-hmm. from the rest of the Dark Knight trilogy, but it starts here. Right. right. And um, what, is, what is it that's different? It's actually good. <laughs> that's that's all I can boil it down to because it's like they are taking superheroes seriously, but they're actually pulling it off and making like a decent movie uh, 
that doesn't doesn't feel like oh they have to force the hero's name in here where it's it's there's no part of it that's like cheesy it's it's very grounded and realistic and um which Marvel doesn't take those lessons from it, but I think Marvel takes the lessons from it that are like, let's take it seriously. And and I think one of the most important things about Batman Begins is like how long it takes to do the origin story. It's mm-hmm. because I mean it's like it's like a full hour of that movie before he's actually in the Batman suit. Like yeah. they they really take time to establish. Like we need you to understand how a normal person decides. They're going to dress up and fight bad guys and be a superhero like because that's a weird thing for a person to do. We, we need to take the time to show you how this happens. Right. And I think that's the biggest lesson that that Marvel learns from Batman Begins. So that's that. Those are the three Batman movies that I think kind of show the arc of superhero movies, the 1966, the 1989 and then the 05's Batman Begins. OK, so. Mm-hmm. To bring this back to Marvel, uh, like I said, Marvel has sold the film. By this point, Marvel sold the film rights to Spider-Man and X-Men, Fantastic Four. They're, they're, biggest, they're biggest characters. They've sold the film rights to some of their other characters. Um, the Hulk. The Hulk, right, was made at Universal. Ang, Ang Lee did the Hulk at Universal. I think it was 03. Yeah. Um, and, and they had sold film rights to other characters, to other studios and things. But some of those projects just never really got off the ground so they're not very interesting to talk like like the oh, iron man daredevil yeah dare yeah there were daredevil and and things like there were some things that just totally flopped and so it's like almost not even worth mentioning and then there were other like movies like iron man which never even got made when it was sold to another studio like so i think i think i've kind of hit the biggest the biggest ones here but you're right there were other and what was the other defining thing about superhero movies in this time is that like each character was like in their own universe and there was no shared universe thing yeah. right like the daredevil movie was not like it existed in the same universe as the x-men or spider-man or anything right yeah i think the only the only place where this was done was the x-men movies where they started to have like small spin-offs but even that was like seven or eight years later before they did that right Right. that even that was after the announcement of the mcu like when like i think x-men origins was kind of the first um movie that was like not like a x-men team-up movie it was like it was like a sort of spin-off like you're talking about yeah, X-Men or yes, they did X-Men in in 2000, X2 in 03, X-Men Last Stand in 06, and the first like spin-off movie they did was X-Men Origins Wolverine, which came out in 2009 after the MCU had already started. Mm-hmm. The MCU had been announced and already started and then Fox was like, "Oh, we could do something similar to that. We already have a franchise. Let's do like a Wolverine movie." You know. So they kind of copied Marvel. So going back to Marvel, where Marvel is in like 05, 04, 05, Marvel has sold the film rights to their most popular characters. And in 2004, Marvel's like, we should make our own movies. Like we're selling the rights to these characters. We we have to, you know, like Marvel Films and Marvel Studios is a thing, but it's just like, it's just them working with other studios to get the movies made. And so Marvel decides we should make our own movies. And I think it was... I've heard conflicting things. I've heard some people say it was Kevin Feige's idea. I think it was maybe more so Avi Arad when back when he was working with Marvel. Um, point is, Marvel decides they're going to do this. So Marvel, Marvel takes out a loan from Merrill Lynch for 
over half a billion dollars. They take out a loan of $525 million to make their own own movies, which is like so crazy that they let they convince like the the executive at Marvel were convinced to do this. Like it's it's such a huge amount of money. And I I believe it's hard to kind of get exact details on this because people like to keep business contracts secret and stuff. But like I believe the deal was they had 10 years. They had 10. They had eight years to make 10 movies. Okay, like or or repay, repay back the loan, right? Right. And they and they had to do it within eight years with ten movies. Okay, hmm. and so they're under the gun, right? They're under the gun, and if they fail, okay, so if they can't produce the movies, if they can't pay back the loan, the rights of the, some of their major characters would go to Merrill Lynch. That was their collateral. The, the, that is so weird. Right. The, right. It's crazy. The, A the, bank owns the rights right. to Captain America. Right. And so the characters they put up for collateral were Ant-Man, the Avengers, Black Panther, Captain America, Cloak and Dagger, Doctor Strange, Hawkeye, Nick Fury, the Power Pack, and Shang-Chi. I like that the Avengers is one of the characters. Right. Because it's like a group. Right. But, but you, see, you see how much was on the line. This was such a huge risk. Yeah. Such a huge risk for Marvel, right? So they decide they're, they get this loan from Merrill Lynch for $525 million. They said, all right, we're going to make our own movies. They, they work with Paramount on a distributor uh, to be the distributor. So Paramount is going to be the distributor for like six movies. Iron Man, it, and, and it, it ends up being Iron Man, Iron Man 2, Thor, Cap 1, Avengers, and Iron Man 3. We're going to be the six Paramount uh, distributed movies. Right. Mm-hmm. The Hulk movie, the way they got the rights back from Universal for Hulk was they said Hulk, Universal was like, you can have the rights back to Hulk, but we want uh right of first refusal on all Hulk movies, on all Hulk solo movies, which I think they still have to this day, which is why there'll never be another Hulk solo movie. I think so. Yeah. But they get the creative rights back. But they get the rights back. Exactly. But if they want to make a Hulk solo movie, they have to first ask Universal, do you want to be the distributor? Which, of course, now they would say yes. But so that's so the first Incredible Hulk movie is distributed by Universal, I believe. And then everything else is done from with Paramount. OK. Yeah. And then uh, 2005 is also the year where the Iron Man film rights come back from New Line Cinema because it was sold to like – I don't. I'm, it was sold somewhere, and then it was sold to Fox, and then it was sold to New Line, and then they were they, like, it was going to be a movie with Tom Cruise. <laughs> like, uh, Tom Cruise had wanted to play Iron Man for years, and of course, it wouldn't have been like this. It would have been like a Tom Cruise movie, right? You know, I could sort of see it in a way. I could see him in a, doing in it in a way. You can sort of see it, but it would not have. I been I could like, see him with the beard. Right, but it wouldn't have been anything like what we know now. W- they would have somehow turned it into like a Mission Impossible style movie, right? Right, Scientology <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So Tom Cruise had been trying to get a, an Iron Man movie made. The rights were at New Line. New Line couldn't get a movie made. So in 2005, the, the film rights go back to uh, Marvel. Okay, 2006 is when they get the Hulk, the Hulk rights back with the Universal distribution deal, right of first refusal. 06 is also when they get the Black Widow film rights back from Lionsgate. Um, and they decide they're going to make the first movie in their franchise is going to be Iron Man. Now, I heard one rumor or one story, and I I can't know. I don't know if this is true. I can't verify this. But I heard one person say that because Iron Man was not originally part of the deal with Merrill Lynch, they couldn't use the Merrill Lynch loan to finance the movie. I don't know if that's true. Hmm. If it is, it makes it even a bigger risk. 
Okay. Right. Yeah. No kidding. Why wouldn't they start with Captain America then? Right. But but and but even if it's not true, like it, th- the point is, this whole thing with the loan and using the characters as collateral, this is a huge risk, right? So, I feel like uh, that's probably where we should start talking about this franchise. Is like 2007, Iron Man starts filming. It goes into production, um, and it, and I think it was like in the same week that Iron Man starts filming, Kevin Feige is named the president of production at Marvel Studios. Because he wow. had been working with within Marvel for like a decade, maybe. Again, working as like a, a producer on like the Spider-Man movies, the X-Men movies. Like he was one of these guys where Marvel was like, you know the comics, you're familiar with this stuff. Like you, you, need, to, you, you, you need to help these guys make a movie and get the characters right and everything. Right. Which at the end of the day, the other studios like always had final say on what they were going to do in the movies. But like he was a producer on some of these. Right. Right. So then 2007, he's named president. So I don't know. I don't know if you're planning on getting to this, but uh, are you going to is now the right time to mention the Disney purchase? Do you want to talk about that now? That, I I think it should. Isn't that around now? I, don't, yeah, I forget so, the exact so, timing of these events. Um. Yeah. So Iron Man comes out 2008. OK. And then. It's a, it's a big hit, right? People, it's a it's a big hit in two thousand eight. Yeah, and I and, and like I, rem- I, knew, I still remember everyone talking about it. Yeah, and like and it was one of those things where where it, I think a lot of people didn't know who Iron Man was. I didn't know who Iron Man was before the movie. Did you? I don't think so. Yeah, so Maybe I I didn't memory. either. I don't I didn't know I didn't know who it was. And I, from what I've heard, even people who did know Iron Man like knew the comics. They were like, I don't want to see a fucking Iron Man movie. Like, who gives a shit about Iron Man? Like, oh yeah, he was B list. Yeah. Maybe even C list. <laughs> like, yeah. th- like they're gonna make an Iron Man movie. Like they are really scraping the bottom of the barrel here. Like right, <laughs> for superheroes. Exactly. Like oh my god. So, but they do it, and it's a it's a huge hit because it's a it's a big hit because it's actually a really great movie. Okay, and then six weeks later, The Incredible Hulk comes out. Six weeks later, it's six that soon. Weeks later, it's that soon. Which that's nuts. It which is a. A bad movie, and I think they kind of knew it was bad. So they're like, let's get it out soon. Like, Iron Man was still in theaters. And I kind of wonder if, like, releasing a bad movie so shortly after their first great movie is kind of the thing that helped them keep going. Because then people were like, all right, well, the Hulk sucked, but Iron Man's still good. Like, let's go see Iron Man again. Like, that's still out. Right. Like, we like that. You know you what I mean? You have to wait like, long. Did, it wasn't like they had a huge amount of time to, like, build up the hype of, like, oh, the next Marvel movie's coming out in six months. It's going to be Hulk. And then it's a disappointment, right? It was just – it was so quickly afterwards. I think people yeah. were like, all right, well, that one sucked, but Iron Man's still good. Like, let's, that, let's go see that again. You know, so I kind of think that's what happened. 2009 is the Disney acquisition mm-hmm. uh, and because Marvel's starting to make their own movies. And I, Bob Iger is always like, let's get some more IP, right? So they just they just buy all of Marvel, all of Marvel Entertainment, not just Marvel Studios, which makes the movies. They buy the whole company for like four billion dollars, right? Mm-hmm. It's a huge it's a huge acquisition, okay. And then not only do they buy the whole company, they buy the distribution rights back from Paramount for Avengers and Iron Man three. For like five hundred million dollars each, wow! So, and as part of the deal, the Paramount logo has to stay at the beginning of each of those movies. But Disney did all the distribution for it, right? And then each of those movies went on to make like a billion dollars. So it ended up being like a brilliant business strategy. 
Totally. It like like it, it, it at first it seemed insane. Like they're gonna pay how much money to get the distribution rights back for the and then it, it totally paid off. Like it, it ended up being the brilliant a brilliant move. So that's the Disney acquisition, and I have more to say about that a little bit later in terms of reshuffling things. But Mm -hmm. that, so yeah, so pretty quickly, Disney is like, "Oh, this is going to be these guys are doing something interesting here. Let's pick this up." And so, and that was that was 2009. They had they had put out two movies. One was great, one was bad, and already Disney's like, "Let's let's get it." So. Now where do we go? <laughs> so I th- I think we need to go back to 2008 and just talk more about Iron Man. Right. Specifically. And I I just rewatched this movie to sort of prepare for this it's so conversation. Good. And it had been, I hadn't seen Iron Man in like five years. And I sort of wasn't sure wow. how I felt about it. Mm-hmm. Because everyone everyone is always saying like, oh, yeah, it's it's the best like standalone movie in the entire MCU, like definitely such a great start. So fresh. And I always remember thinking like, is it that good? Like, I don't, I don't remember. It's been a long time. It sort of just feels like lumped in with the rest of them in my mind. And I rewatched it. I was like, no, this is, this is totally different. This is something really special. It's, it's an origin story in every way you expect but it doesn't feel like you're going through the ropes like it does in a lot of other movies like Mm spider-man um it just it just feels so fresh and the characters are really strong and i it's just i think most importantly it's just really fun which yes is maybe a good distinction we want to make between this movie or this whole franchise compared to the dc style of movie making where Everything was a lot more grim and dark and serious in the Christopher Nolan Batman trilogy. Where 2008, first Marvel movie, they're like, we're, "No, we're going to add some some comedy into this. This is going to be fun for the whole family sort of deal." And that really sets the tone for the rest of these movies. Yeah, and and that's that's the other thing is like Feige didn't know it'd be funny, right? Like, do you remember hearing that? I don't think so, actually. So when they again, this is going back to like the Harry Potter Prisoner of Azkaban thing is like they hired John Favreau, who was really mostly known for making Elf at that point. They hired John Favreau to direct. Okay, again, like weird pick, weird choice. Right. But I think he had also been trying to do some kind of big budget CGI type movie for a while. Okay, and they and they chose him because they're like, okay, well, he's a good director like he can do. And then and he wants Downey. For the role. So he says to Marvel Studios, okay, I want to cast Robert Downey Jr. for Tony Stark. And Marvel says, absolutely not. There's no way we're going to allow that. Because Downey's like, like he's been publicly struggling with drugs. He's like a washed up old celebrity. Like, they, they don't want that associated with him. And Downey, like, was trying so hard to get there. He said it's like one of the few roles where he like totally went all in. Is like, I'm going to do everything I can to get this. I'm going to like be, I'm going to get totally in the mode of the character. Like he, I think he had a screen test like 20 times, like, but he said like he related to the character and like how he sort of like rebuilds himself and like he goes from, you know, being messed up to like being a good person. Like he relates to that. Like, so that is, it's, it's weird how the Tony Stark character kind of is modeled after like the the public image of Robert Downey Jr., Mm -hmm. which again, going back to their taking risks pretty early on of like, like they have this lone, like, 
of almost like a little over half a billion dollars. They hire the guy who made Elf to direct a, a superhero movie. Right. They hire a washed up guy who's had public issues with drugs to be the lead. Like it's crazy. They, and by the way, they paid Robert Downey Jr. like five hundred thousand dollars to do the movie. Like Holy they, shit. they paid him like nothing. Right. Like Terrence Howard made like four million million dollars because Terrence Howard, if I think, is like an Oscar winner and had just had a big hit movie or something. So they paid him more than Robert Downey Jr. Right. And then Robert finally gets hired and he goes to Favreau. And is like we both agree the grip the script sucks right and they basically we talked about this in another episode but I just want to yeah, re- yeah. reiterate it here which is like they both agreed that like the actual dialogue sucked like they had the they had good bones it's a good outline of like a superhero story right but they were like but the dialogue is no good and like every day they would come to set and they would go through the script the script and be like how do we make this more fun like we're, we want to make it fun to watch and Kevin Feige. Or, or John Favreau tells the story of that when, when Feige was getting the dailies from set and watch, or watching like a rough cut of the movie, Feige was like, oh, it's, it's, it's funny. Like he didn't understand, he didn't know it was going to be funny. But that, but like Favreau's a comedy guy and, and him and, and Downey are like, let's try, to, let's just try to make it fun and enjoyable. Right. And that's, that's where, like you said, it does differ from the DCEU. And, but, and this is what I mean about how I think the DCEU and the MCU took different lessons from, the Dark Knight trilogy, which mm-hmm. it, Marvel was like, let's let's take the character seriously. We have to do the character work seriously, like they do in the Batman Begins. It's like forty five minutes before you see him in, a, in an Iron Man suit. It takes so long to get oh, there yeah. because they're doing yeah, was, the character. I was surprised work. how long it takes. Yeah, because they're doing all the character work, right? And like he's in the cave with the instant. Like it's so you know he builds this thing in a cave with a box of scraps, right? Whereas the DCEU is like, oh, the Nolan films are dark and gritty. That's what we have to do. And it's like, well, I, you can do that, but they, have, they still have to be fun, you know. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. You know, but yeah. So that so anyway, I I, I just I th- I'm sorry. I think the business stuff is super interesting. But you're right. This is a great movie, and and they do a lot of great character stuff. And I think most importantly, we should talk about, probably not most importantly, but very important, we need to talk about the after credits of these movies. Well, before we get to, let me, me, I do just want to say, I want to ask you, what do you think about the third act of this movie? Because I'm one of the people where it kind of loses me in the third act. Oh, really? Um, I don't, I don't think that ever bothered me. I, I thought the, I thought the Ironmonger fight was pretty clever, um, decently suspenseful too. And the... What the, when when he goes up and he asked it, how did you solve the the icing oh, or whatever so, when he, really like, he like he freezes up in space I thought that was really clever a good nod to earlier what happened earlier in the movie yeah yes. I like it and then and yes. then the last five minutes of course are fantastic well yes that's that's, well that's the other thing we're gonna get to but I, for me personally like last time I rewatched it I was like wait wow is this movie better than I remember like I have this at four stars is this a four and a half actually it's really good and the third act comes and it's like it's a little bit loose me. I'm like, oh, that's why it's a four for me. A little bit, I don't know. But like, I've heard people say that the best things about the MCU and the worst things about the MCU are all found in this movie. Like, they do a lot of great character work for the hero, not so much great character work for the villain, and the third act is a little generic. That being said, I still think it's a great movie, and I really enjoy it all the way through. Um, and then, like, uh, they, what's interesting to me, too, is, like, the Avengers and... Uh, the MCU, like the Marvel Universe and the comics, like a lot of it is centered on New York, but this movie takes place in Malibu, like, like, mm-hmm. which is just interesting to me. Um, I saw, I just, I saw someone point that out. I'm like, yeah, that is interesting because so much of the, of the Marvel Universe is based around New York and like Stark Tower in New York, but this movie is not set in New York. It's set in California. 
And then I think I think the other interesting change that this movie makes is Jarvis being an AI instead of being an actual butler because Batman Begins had just come out and they have Alfred. And so they're like, well, we can't have that be the same thing. So let's make it like an AI, right? I don't and think the, I ever knew that it was anything other but than an AI. Yeah, in, in the comics, he has a butler, kind of like Batman has Alfred. He has he has Edwin Jarvis, right? And of course, when they go... When they go back uh, and do like the Agent Carter TV show, and you see you see Howard Stark has a butler named Edwin Jarvis, which is kind of the namesake, yeah. right? Um, right. But yeah, that's that's why they made Jarvis an AI was because it's like it, it, after seeing Batman Begins, people would watch this and be like, "What is this shitty Alfred? <laughs> like, right. This bad right. version of Alfred? Why does he have the?" So they made it an AI, which is very cool and work and works for the character. And and but. That also is an example of like they're already kind of deviating from the comics and kind of taking risks. Again, going back to Marvel Studios taking risks. I just find it very interesting. Um, also, any any movie that has a Jim Cramer cameo, I'm a fan of. <laughs> Who is that? <laughs> That's the mad money guy when he's like, this is a weapons company that oh, doesn't right. make weapons. I yeah. love Jim Cramer in anything. <laughs> Because that's that's his show. Like that's exactly what his show is like. And I love like in Arrested Development, they use him a couple of times, and I always yeah. I always get a kick out of it. I think um, this is one of the better Stan Lee cameos too. If we're talking cameos, who who is he in this one? Hugh Hefner. Yeah, that's right. He yeah he. I think the idea is that he mis he Tony mistakes him for Hugh Hefner, or maybe he is playing Hugh Hefner. I don't know what the credits say, but <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's fine. Are you editing the doc while we talk? <laughs> of course. Oh, okay. there's a lot to say. There is a, there is a lot to say, um, but I th- but yeah, let's get to, I think what you hinted at, which is the last five minutes of this movie with the with the press conference. Yeah, so I I had honestly forgotten how the press conference sort of goes and what happens there. They they tell him, all right, we wrote this statement for you. Or th- this is Phil Coulson too. He says we wrote this statement for you. You're going out there and you're saying this and you're not answering any questions. And it's just not the type of person that Tony Stark is. And he like fumbles over his words a little bit. And they're like, get back to the script. Right. And then he just says, I am Iron Man. And that's it. That sets the course for the rest of the franchise. And yeah, completely obliterates our superhero expectations by throwing away secret identities. Right. Because so much of superhero movies, especially before this, is like, it's like you got to keep the identity a secret. We, no one can know who I am. You know, like Spider-Man most famously, Batman does it. Like it's a whole thing. And this movie is like, nah, we're just going to get rid of it. And, and that goes back to like a lot of this movie being improvised or at least sort of, you know, worked out on this, like the specific dialogue being worked out on set. I think that was just decided on set. It wasn't like in order handed down from on high by our God and savior Kevin Feige telling us no super secret identities. Like, no, that was just like something that it was just an idea they came up with. And like it fits with the character. It's a great idea. And and it cha- it changes the rest of the MCU. Yep, totally. And then and then we have to and you mentioned Phil Coulson, who I think is one of the other like Jarvis being an AI, I think an original character invented for the MCU, one of the few, uh, because he was originally just supposed to be like an agent. Like he had like a couple of lines that was his in, first like, name is Agent. <laughs> exactly, and then like as he was on set, like they found like oh he's got a good chemistry with Downey. Like we, you know, who doesn't like Clark Gregg? You know, so like, so they were like, all right, well, let's give him a few more lines, put him in a couple more scenes, give him a name. Just call a shield, right? And then he becomes the connective tissue that uh, 
of the of phase one of the MCU. And yeah. it and yeah, it's like that's so cool that it was like kind of an accident. You know what I mean? Of like we just we just hired Clark Gregg to play like this unnamed unnamed agent guy for one scene and he had two lines and then they're like, No, we like him, let's keep him and then it accidentally becomes Oh, he's the thing that brings the Avengers together, sort of. Like it, it's very cool. So where where does he show up? Iron Man two, Thor. Is he in the Incredible Hulk? And is he in Captain America: The First Avenger? I don't think he's in those two. Okay, but yeah, he's he's definitely important bringing those characters together. And he's in the he's in the Avengers, and yeah, and he's he plays a big role in the Avengers, and he's in a couple of the Marvel one shots. Which were yep. back when Marvel made short films, which I think they should do again. But so he he has a role to play, and like they're they're continuing to use him, and it's and it's very cool. So this Iron Man end this movie ends with I am Iron Man, and it and it's it is such a great moment. And then credits roll, and then what happens? <laughs> you leave the movie because that's what happens after the credits roll. Oh, right. You walk out of the movie theater. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and there's nothing left to say. Iron Man 2. Um, no, I, I, I remember, I didn't see this movie in theaters, but I remember no, seeing some, some comments online of people saying like, I remember going to see Iron Man and someone told me, oh, Sam Jackson plays Nick Fury. And I walked out of the movie and it wasn't until like a little bit later. I was like, huh, Sam Jackson wasn't in that movie. <laughs> you had to stay after the credits, people. <laughs> Sam Jackson shows up in Tony Stark's house and tells him about the Avengers initiative. Which ends up being one of the most fun parts of this entire franchise is waiting for the after credits after the movie to see what they're going to tease you with next. Right, ex- exactly. And and that is, that's kind of an amazing get, too, for Marvel is, like, they have to pitch, they had to, like, pitch Samuel L. Jackson of, like, you're going to be an extremely minor character. We need you to show up after the credits Less of our than first minor. movie. Right. But but we promise you, like, you're going to have a big role later on. Like, that seemed like that would, that seemed like a hard pitch for a, a studio making their first movie to pitch Samuel L. Jackson to play Nick yeah, Fury. Yeah. But, like, he's such a great Nick Fury that they got to do it. And I think Sam Jackson's a comic book fan anyway, so. Mm. Um. But yeah, so that okay. So I think that's Iron Man one covered. Okay, I promise I we're so. not doing this movie by movie. <laughs> no, no, it would take us way too long. Di- but did you want to mention Incredible Hulk because it's very bad? Um, this is the I Ed Norton have, Hulk from 08. Yeah, I don't, I don't have a ton to say about this. Do you? I mean, I, there's one point I want to make that's connected to another movie as well. Is there anything you want to say about the Incredible Hulk? It's not it's not very memorable. It it's not very memorable. It's it's a bad movie. I I can't believe Tim Roth is in the MCU and it's and it's wasted. Like he's such a good. I love him as an actor, and they totally waste him in a, in such a bad movie. Um, and then the the casting of Ed Norton, I think, sort of seems correct because of like Fight Club of like oh he's got this inner angst and he's and he can play like this angry guy you know what I mean I think it seemed right and then of course he was a pain in the ass to work with and he was like de- like demanding to rewrite the script and he wrote he rewrote parts of it and like and 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 ultimately I don't think I don't think it's a very even a very good performance like I just think I just think it all around it's a, it's a it's a pretty bad movie it's not like offensive to me but I think it's a bad movie and mm-hmm. so and yeah, that's inc- and, and again, but again, who cares? Because Iron Man just came out six weeks earlier, so let's just exactly. go see that again. <laughs> right, right. So that's so that's Incredible Hulk, and then we get Iron Man two. Do you have anything to say here? 
Uh, so the only thing I wanted to say about Iron Man 2, which connects to The Incredible Hulk, is both of these characters... Well, so Bruce Banner and... Uh, what the hell is his name? Don Cheadle. Uh, mm-hmm. These are characters that get recast. Don Cheadle, Cheadle takes over War Machine and Mark Ruffalo takes over Bruce Banner. And right. this James happens- Rhodes, Rhodey. Yes, is the name yes, of the character Rhodey. you're looking for. <laughs> that, I forgot. I was drawing a blank. <laughs> so this happens really early, which could be a bad sign that after your first movies, Iron Man and the Incredible Hulk, there are already actors bowing out. But they get recast, and they get recast as better performers. We get better performances than we did originally. So it sort of works out, but it is – does that bother you at all? It, in some ways, yes, because like it reduces like consistency. Um, it, it, but let me just say, like you, you said you had actors bowing out. That's not what happened. Both Terrence Howard and Ed Norton were a pain in the ass to work with. And like so, they, I think Marvel was the one who was like, "We don't want to work with these people anymore. They're they're very mm. difficult to work with." Because right. like, okay, I, I that's what I've heard is Terrence Howard was like a pain in the ass on set, and Ed Norton was such a pain in the ass. He was like rewriting parts of the script. Like, <laughs> so I, it, I think I did hear about that about yeah. Terrence so it, it it wasn't necessarily that the actors decided that they didn't want to do it anymore. It was more like Marvel was like these these people are annoying to work with. Um, so I think that's why they 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 left and didn't didn't come back um i do think it's really interesting that it happens in these yeah it happens in these early first three movies and i don't think it happens again or at least notably it doesn't happen again does it i i don't think so i think is there um i think there's an early shot in iron man one of howard stark who's not played by dominic cooper or john slattery Mm. i think that's another um casting change because again they're, they're they're still early they're still figuring this out um yeah i can't think of any more off the top of my head that are like casting changes so they got they got lucky there that after that they were pretty good about casting and getting the right people to stick with the roles well right and i think and i think they also knew like okay well we all, we probably can't sign actors to be who, who are going to be annoying to work with or we have to let them know that, like, you don't, you're not going to have some. I mean, that's why they can't get Joaquin Phoenix in the MCU. Do you know about this? No. Like, I like Kevin Feige has been trying to get Joaquin Phoenix in the MCU for a while. I think he was on the list to play Bruce Banner early on. They wanted him for Doctor Strange, and Joaquin Phoenix has consistently said he's like, "Look, I'm not against doing a superhero movie. I'm not one of these people who thinks that superhero movies are bad. I'm not like holier than thou about it." Joaquin Phoenix's problem is like I don't think I could work within that system of like the, of like mega franchises and connected movies and like signing multi-picture contracts and because like he's like this like self-taught weirdo as an actor like he has a very weird process he's not like formally trained as an actor and I think his whole thing is like I just don't think I can work within within like the Marvel Studios Hollywood franchise system. And that's that's why they can't get. Even though Feige's been trying to get him in a in a, a Marvel movie for years now, but like I think Marvel also knows like we have to hire people that we can work with them. I'm yeah. assuming that that they've probably come to that realization and probably realized it pretty quickly. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a good lesson learned early on. It, ex- exactly. And then in Thor, which is the next movie after Iron Man two, 
they there, there was that headline of like Marvel Studios cast unknowns for Thor, right? Because who was Chris Hemsworth and who was Tom Hiddleston? No one knows who these people are, but mm-hmm. they cast them for Thor. They probably signed to like an 18 picture contract or whatever, like Marvel always does, right? Right, and then um, do you, do you have any thoughts on Thor? I don't think it's a great movie. Yeah, it's it's average, decent movie. Um, yeah. they <laughs> the the rest of the casting in Thor is really fantastic, though. You got well, Natalie Portman's a good actress. I don't think she's great in this role necessarily, but Anthony Hopkins, Stellan Skarsgård, uh, Idris Elba. And then Kenneth Branagh to direct. Um, I feel like that's a, that's a bit of a unique get because I think the vibe they were going for with Thor was like a little bit more theatrical, maybe because he's sort of like a Shakespearean actor, I believe. Right, right. And, and Thor always talks like this. Art thou? Like you know? Yeah, like, it's, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but the, 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 my problem with watching Thor is like a couple years ago, someone pointed out to me that. Basically, every single shot in the movie is a Dutch angle, and now I can't watch that movie and not see it, and it drives me, like, fucking crazy. <laughs> well, I don't know what that means, and you're not going to explain it to me, so <laughs> so the movie's still fine in my mind. Okay, but yeah, I don't, I don't think it's a great movie. Like, Natalie Portman's in it, and she's, like, good as an actress, but I think not super great, and I agree with you, not super great in the role. Um who's who's the girl who plays like who who plays darcy right isn't that her name like she's really good cat dennings yeah, is really yeah. is really enjoyable in in both the thor movies actually but yeah but and then and then we get to captain america the first avenger which again i don't think is great this is a theme like the early marvel movies are not great like the first the first one's great the second one is bad and then iron man 2 thor captain america first avenger like they're kind like they're okay to pretty good (laughs) yeah i agree you know and it's and it's kind of amazing that they were able to really get this franchise off the ground with with kind of like with like a i guess having a big hit right off the bat helped a lot but these are not super great movies but i guess they made money and they kept going that that's the thing i was going to say about thor is like they get they got anthony hopkins and supposedly the story i heard is that anthony hopkins read the script and next to all of the lines of like Odin's lines, he wrote N A R next to it. And someone asked him, "What does N A R mean?" And he said, "No acting required." <laughs> oh my god, that's hilarious! Because he doesn't really have much to do. No, but it's like no, it's Anthony not. Hopkins, and no matter what you give him, it's going to be good, even if he's not even trying. <laughs> like, yeah, right. So I I think you're right about these first few Phase One movies, but what they are doing at least is they're establishing good characters even if the stories in the filmmaking isn't fantastic totally characters agree. that you want to see again totally agree i remember when i when i showed my uncle the mcu for the first time last year um he had never seen any of them and i said we're gonna sit down and we're gonna watch all of them in preparation for endgame and he hated captain america the first avenger he's like this is the worst movie i've ever seen in my life it's boring i hate everything about it nothing about this movie works and I'm like, really? And he's like, and he's like, yeah. Like, I don't mind the character. Like, the character of Captain America is fine, but I hate the movie. And I thought it was interesting that it was like, even with a movie he doesn't like, he's like, no, I like the character. You know, <laughs> Marvel yeah. does good character work, right? At least, at least for their heroes. And I think it's kind of the thing that keeps people coming back. Like, that's how, that's how they've tricked everyone into caring about this mega blockbuster franchise. <laughs> okay, so then they've, we get they've gotten so much of my money. I, it's, yeah, it's really ridiculous. 
But then we get to the Avengers. This is this is uh, written and directed by Joss Whedon, um, who's a TV guy. Who he comes from television, but I think again another kind of maybe kind of a weird choice. Um, but they but he comes from TV, and I think part of it was like hadn't he worked on some shows that had like ensemble casts, and so therefore they thought oh we should get him to do the Avengers. And this movie I think like I said earlier I think doesn't it make like a billion dollars worldwide. Like it's it's this is an un, it's a huge hit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when it came out, it was set the record for opening weekend box office. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, so there you go. It un- I think it unseated Deathly Hallows Part 2. Oh, because that had just come out like a year before, right? Yeah, and then it was unseated by Jurassic World. Right. <laughs> of course. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Not not really. Um, okay, so The Avengers is kind of an amazing... I'm looking at my notes for like Incredible Hulk. I just wrote sucks. <laughs> that's <laughs> like, all you need to know. That's all, that's all you need. But like the Avengers is kind of amazing because like people didn't think it would work. They said it's too many characters to put in one movie. There's no way this is going to go well. Right. But then it actually like it not only does it work like it's actually a really great movie. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what surprised a lot of people. And that's probably what got people really hooked is like, oh, wow, they actually were able to pull this off. And I think part of the reason it works is because, again, they spend a lot of time building up to it. Like, they spend a lot of time doing the work of, like, how does this team work together, right? Like, the first act is, like, we're going to get everybody on board, like, what is it, the, the Quinjet? Is that, no, not, that's the Helicarrier, right? Isn't that yeah, what it's called? Yeah. Like, yep. we're, we're going to get everyone on board. Everyone's agreed to sign up to be part of this team. But then it's like, well, can they work together? And, like, the midpoint of the movie is Loki escapes, right? Like the the midpoint of the movie is like these people cannot work together. They don't know, they don't know what they're doing. They don't know how to work well together. And the the like the most of the movie is them like figuring out how do we work as a team. And it's not until you get to like the end of the second act where they're like, "Okay, we can we can do this." And then then the third act is like they're just going to kick ass. Right? And that's why I, I said earlier, that's why I said before like it's a very it's a like a perfectly plotted movie like three act structure wise it's it's very well done because it's about it's it's almost like instead of giving a character arc to one person they give like a character arc to the entire team and it's them learning how to work as a team them learning how to work together and it's it's that to me is kind of like the brilliant master stroke of of that movie rather than just they're all they all know how to work together immediately right off the bat yeah yeah exactly i think you pretty much said it all there and then what I like at the end of the movie is that they disband. I really like that at the end they're like, all right, we worked together this one time, but now we're going to go our separate ways, right? Because mm-hmm. it, because then it justifies, like, how do we go back to having solo movies? Because, like, if right. they learn to work as a team and the, and they're all together and they're, now they're the Avengers, right? Well, then it's like, well, whenever any one of them has a problem, what, why wouldn't they just call their friends and all handle every problem together? Like, why wouldn't every right. movie afterwards just be an Avengers movie? And it's yeah. because... At the end of the Avengers, they break up basically. They they disband, right? And Nick Fury has that line of like, "Well, they'll they'll be back." Or or, or Maria Hill asks him, like, "What what if we need them again?" And Nick Fury is like, "Well, they'll they'll come back." And she's like, "Well, how do you know?" And Sam Jackson, Nick Fury says, "Because we'll need them to." And that's the exactly. last line of the movie, and it's so good. The other thing I like about the Avengers, and kind of credit to Thor as well, is like a lot of superhero movies kill the villain. 
especially in the Marvel universe, a lot of these movies kill the villain at the end or like they're just mm-hmm. they're just gone off the table now. Whereas right. at the end of Thor and the end of this movie, it's like no, Loki stay stays around. He becomes like one of the better villains in the MCU kind of just because he keeps coming back. He's god of mischief, right? He just keeps coming back and causing trouble and it's kind of fun. It's it, and that kind of goes back to like the comic books of like yeah, the bad guys keep coming back, and you know, one one issue they have to face another bad guy, and then and then the next issue is someone else, but then the third issue is like, oh, here's his first bad guy again. It's like, they, it, I don't know, it's a little, it's it's comic booky, and I like that. That's that's anyway, that's what I like about the Avengers. I I remember watching this movie for the first time, and I when I first saw it, I wasn't really into these movies. Like, I it was just sort of a casual interest of mine. Same, and I I enjoyed it. But nothing stood out as too amazing. I like I like it a lot more now. Yes, yes me but too. I remember the one thing that did stand out to me watching it the first time was the one shot they do. That's the long shot where they start out with one of the Avengers oh, and the, the camera Warner. keeps moving. Yes. Yeah, and you just over the course of one shot, you see all six of them doing something and fighting bad guys, and w- that's when it hit me, like, okay, this is something really special, what they're doing right here. This is incredibly well done. Yeah, I th- I kind of think it's an underrated shot. Like, everyone talks about, like, the six team up in the circle, which obviously is a great shot, too, but, like, yeah, yeah that, that, like, wonder of, like, of how the camera flies around, you see each of them kicking ass, like, it's awesome. It's awesome. And then we should talk about the end credit scene of that movie, which is the shawarma. Because, yes, of because it was it was right. It was filmed after the premiere of the movie. Remember, I didn't know that. I I know about um, Chris Evans's beard. If that's what you're talking about, yeah. In that shot, Chris Evans was filming. An, I think another movie, or maybe he Snow just had it. Oh, that is that what it was. Okay, so he has a beard, and they put like some prosthetic, like fake skin over it to try to hide it. But then he also has his fist over his face, so he's you know they're really covering it up, right? Yeah. But but they filmed that like. It was a joke that was made, and then after the movie premiered, like, because it premiered on, like, a Monday and then, like, came out worldwide on, like, a Friday or whatever, but after the movie premiered, they were like, can we can we actually film that? Like, why don't we actually just film that scene? And so after the premiere, they got the, everyone back together and got everyone in the costumes and just filmed that, like, 30-second shot, and then it made it, it made it into the movie, and that's just, like, that's to me, that's so cool. Like, I feel like that would never happen now. <laughs> I, I kind of feel like a lot of the the, like improvised stuff a lot of like the accidents that happened in the early mcu like this kind of let's let's film part of the like the post credit scene after the movie's already premiered like i mm-hmm. feel, kind of feel like that some of that stuff wouldn't happen now because they're so meticulous about being planned out but in some I ways right. that's like that's kind of the most fun stuff i don't know anyway so i th- i think where i thought you were going um in which i want to talk about is that the other uh end credit here is the reveal of thanos oh because this is which, like the mid credit scene yeah yeah they they show you thanos I don't, I don't even think he says anything but he just turns his head and you see him and it, that's the end of the shot yes. which i think i give a lot of credit to this universe for for really planning things out and having an idea of where they want to go like it's it's six years later before thanos finally gets his own movie in infinity war but i i totally believe that in Iron Man, they knew that they were going to Thanos in the Infinity War. If if they could get there, if it all worked out, I truly believe that was their goal, which I can't say about the DCEU and I can't say about Star Wars where sometimes it just feels like they're making shit up as they go. I give I give a ton of credit to this universe for. I'm I'm less convinced of that. I don't think they knew, they knew they wanted to do Thanos at, during the first Iron Man movie. I but, think 
I think Kevin Feige did. <laughs> maybe, maybe he did. But um, yeah, by by the Avengers, they were talking about like, okay, we're making the Avengers movie. If we can pull this off, that probably is the end game. Is let's try to do like Thanos and the Infinity Stones and everything because we've already had like, yeah, I think I think after they had made one movie and they realized, oh, we can actually do this, then they probably started to think big picture. But they took they take their time with it, and I think I heard that I think I heard Joss Whedon um, was the one who liked the idea of having Thanos in the movies, but also he was the same guy who was like, "But I don't know what to do with Thanos." Like I like the idea of it, and I'll help set him up, but I don't know I don't actually know what to do with it, which is why I think they never brought him back after Avengers two. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, so so oh, yeah, so you're right. That is that is pretty amazing that even back in 2012 they were thinking about where do we want this whole thing to go and it's not like they planned everything out all at once it's not like they planned out the entire infinity saga because they did have to wing stuff there was stuff that was changed there was supposed to be an inhumans movie at one point they had no idea the spider-man deal was going to happen like they're they're only planning things like what four or five years in advance but they have a mm-hmm. general idea of where they're going and up like big picture and I think they're pretty good at communicating between the different movies that are happening and figuring out how can we make this work. Like, that's the other thing is like, I think overall, they're good at looking at, okay, well, where where has the Marvel Universe been? We're making this one movie now. How can we use elements of that? And so I think I think sometimes the MCU feels like it's more planned out than it actually is just because they're really good at like picking up loose ends from other movies and bringing it back together again. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I don't think they have every dot planned out, but I think they know where the end dot is most of the time. I I think you're probably right. Um, so yeah, so the, yeah, you're right. So that's that's the yeah the Avengers credits is like what what's it called like battle wounds or something or battle scars? It's really good. I don't know. It's really good. And then they do the Thanos, and then they do the rest of the credits, and then they do the little shawarma, which is so good. And then mm-hmm. we get Iron Man three. I I this is. I believe one of two or three movies I've only seen once in this franchise. I like this movie a lot. I I, I don't think I like it better than the first Iron Man, but no, of course not. It is. It, I think I think it is really. I think it's a lot of fun. I like. I, this is this. So this is Shane Black directing because John Favreau did the first two, and then they get Shane Black who did what was it Kiss Kiss Bang Bang with Robert Downey back in like '05. They get Shane Black Maybe. to direct, and then because he'd worked with Downey before. And he takes it in a different direction where, like, he strips Tony of his suits, which I love. And I love the idea of, like, Tony has, like, a different suit that does, like, a different thing. I like that idea to me is funny. You know what I mean? Like, he has, like, this is the suit that goes in water and this is the suit that can explode. You know, like, whatever it is. Like, right. I, I think I think that idea is fun. And then um, the whole thing, the whole twist with the Mandarin. Like, I know people were upset about it because like, oh, it's not the real Mandarin. But, like, I think it's fun. I think the whole... I think the whole Mandarin twist is is fun in that movie because it's um uh who who played Ben Kingsley as he plays the Mandarin but he's really just like an actor that they've hired and he's like a total drunk and just I just think the whole thing is funny like I think it's better than so, Iron Man too. It's it's been a while since I've seen this movie so I don't even know if this is like valid anymore if if I even believe this opinion but my impression watching that movie was like oh the mandarin is like iron man's big villain in the comic books the plot twist of this movie is that it's not the villain you want to see why do i care well I, and i think in some ways um it, they looked at it as like i don't know how to i think that in some ways they looked at it and they were like look we don't know how to do the mandarin in a way that's not offensive <laughs> 
because it's a villain that was invented like 40 years ago or whatever. Right. I think maybe that was part of it too. So in a way, in an effort to get around like just doing stereotypes, uh, they try to do like Mandarin 10 rings type thing um, and, ju- and just totally subvert it. And I, I understand the criticism of like, oh, this is not the villain I wanted to see. But it, I think I think the whole thing is fun. And I think it's better than Iron Man 2 because we didn't really talk much about Iron Man 2 because it's not that great. I enjoy it. I get a kick out of Iron Man too, but they're trying to do the whole like demon in a bottle storyline from. But they don't. Instead of Tony being an alcoholic, it's like his blood is infected. It's very, it's very stupid. Whereas Iron Man three is like, let's see what happens when we take Tony Stark and strip him down from all of his suits and just see if he can still do it. And it, I don't know. To me, it's to me, it's 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 very cool. And like seeing how he has to like almost like Jerry rig like like little contraptions to sort of mimic what his suit can do but he doesn't have the suit yet i think it's i think it's uh i think it's a really good movie i think it's a lot of fun i've forgotten almost everything that happens in that movie it's you been should watch so long. it it's good and 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 the other thing about iron man 3 is um that was when downey's contract was up both downey and gwyneth paltrow their contracts were up so they kind of thought well if this is Downey's last appearance as Tony Stark in the MCU, we have to give him a good ending. And I think it does give him a good ending because he has that moment where he, like, he like removes all the strap, shrapnel from his heart and he removes his like thing that he has in his chest and he th- you know chucks it in the ocean. He's like, I don't need this anymore because I don't need this to tell me who I am. I know I am Iron Man. Like it's, and it, it, ends on, it ends on I am Iron Man again. And he looks right. directly into camera and breaks the fourth wall for like half a second. Like It's like two frames and they cut away. It's very good. And then the other interesting thing about Iron Man 3 is the girl that Tony, like, first meets at the beginning of the movie. And again, I know you don't remember this movie, but I think this is interesting. She was supposed to be, like, the main villain of the movie. And with the whole, like, extremist or extremist thing, however you pronounce that. Like, she was supposed to be the main villain. And this is back when... Marvel Studios was still underneath Marvel. It was still part of Marvel Entertainment. And Ike Perlmutter was in charge, right? And Ike Perlmutter, who's known for being, one, a cheapskate, and two, kind of a bigot, uh, Ike Perlmutter is like, no, you can't have a female villain. That's not allowed, because that's not going <laughs> to sell toys. <laughs> that's great. Yeah, so so, they were, so Perlmutter was like, you know, we're not going to let you have a female villain. So they had to change it to what's his name in the Aldrich Killian or something. So like, if you watch the movie back and you look at her character, you're like, you're like, why is she here? Like, why is she in this movie? Exactly. What does she do? And it's like, cause they were setting her up to be one thing. And then in the end, they just like kill her randomly with like no climax. It's just like to get rid of her because they need the other guy to be the real villain. Cause they were forced to rewrite the script because Perlmutter is an asshole. And, <laughs> And uh, I think it's one of the last instances of Perlmutter, like, really meddling with the MCU to fit, like, his own agenda or whatever. Um, but the reason I bring it up here, because Iron Man 3 comes out 2013. Yeah. Um, and then within a couple of years, Kevin Feige gets more and more frustrated with Perlmutter. Okay. And... He says, like, look, this guy is – he's annoying to work with. He won't let me do the things I wanted. It's also rumored – like, there was that report that came out just this week that they were trying to get a Black Widow movie made, like, 10 years ago. Hmm. Uh, I think they were also trying to – at least Kevin Feige was also talking about, like, around this time, like, also talking about uh, trying to do, like, a Bla- uh, Black Panther movie, a Captain Marvel movie, 
right? He was trying to get these things done, but Perlmutter is such an, an asshole that he's like, no, 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 you can't have a movie with like a black guy. That's not, a, you can't have a superhero movie with a woman. You can't have a superhero movie with a, where the villain is a woman. No, 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 none, none of these things are allowed, right? Because he's a dick, right? And, and eventually Kevin Feige got so fed up with this. Kevin Feige goes to Disney and he basically says, I cannot fucking work with this guy anymore. And Dis- I do know about this. Yeah. Disney restructures the company so that they take Marvel Studios, which was under uh, underneath Marvel Entertainment. They take it and move it to be underneath Walt Disney Studios. And so now Kevin Feige reports directly to Alan Horn at Disney. And that's also the moment where I think they sort of were because like in. We haven't really talked about the Marvel television, but the early Marvel television was trying to be very connected to the MCU. And I yeah. think it's shortly after this or shortly some more time around this like 2014-15 ish is when I think they have less and less overlap and and collaboration and interaction. Uh, and I I would guess it's because of this decision that gets made, but ultimately it's for the best because that change happens in 2015 when Disney restructures the, some things. And then, what is it, three or four years later, we get both Black Panther and Captain Marvel. So I think it worked out for the best. It's just, it's one, it's kind of a shame it took that long. Uh, and two, it's a shame that, like, Perlmutter got in the way of the movies <laughs> in the right. meantime. Um, so anyway, that's, I just want to make that point about Iron Man 3. Yeah, then we, no, that's important. Then we move on to Thor The Dark World. The best movie. Which is the other movie that I think is like, this is an actively bad movie. It's like, th- for me, it's like this and The Incredible Hulk are the only two movies that I think are like actively bad in the MCU. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, I don't, this is another one of those movies I haven't seen in so long. It's, yeah. There's not much really that stands out. I remember there being some like somewhat entertaining fight sequences at the end there. And the the Chris Evans cameo is nice, I guess. The Chris Evans cameo not, is the best part of the movie. <laughs> there, there's not much else to celebrate about this movie. Justice, peace, America, <laughs> whatever he says. It's good. Yeah, that part's good, and then Loki at the very end is good. Yes, yes. But then everything else is crap. It's not, it's not yeah. a good movie. No. Uh, but, but what I think is interesting is that there's 23 movies that have come out, and there's two that i've given less than three stars you know what i mean like that's pretty impressive yeah like even even though thor i don't think is great it's like i don't think it's bad like there's only a couple that i say are actively bad pretty impressive really i mean it's hard to make a good movie and that's also by the way i should have said this at the top that's kind of why we're talking about this now is that it's been over a year since the last marvel movie came out it might be another year before the next one comes out (laughs) it better not be well, we'll see. I just think it's in, I just think this is an interesting time to talk about it, so that's why we're doing it now. But let's move on to Captain America the Winter Soldier. The point I want to make about Winter Soldier is they hire the Russo brothers based on an episode of Community that they directed because they because they're known for doing comedy. And then and then they directed this episode of Community like which is one of the famous like paintball episodes. And and people were like, "Oh, these guys can actually direct action." Let's get them to do a Marvel movie. And so they did Captain America Winter Soldier, which is a great movie. And and also the point I'll make about Winter Soldier is I think this is kind of Marvel's first attempt at like doing a different type of genre. Where it's like it's more of a spy espionage thriller kind of movie. Right. And I think that's yeah. also – again, and I think this is 
also true with Guardians is like they're trying different things now because you can't have these movies all be the same. They have to diversify. So, you know, they have to survive or they have to they have to change or 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 they'll die. So they have to keep changing things. And that's all. And that also brings us to 2014's Guardians of the Galaxy directed by James Gunn. Yeah. Yeah. I think at the time, everyone's pretty much everyone agreed that 2014 was the best year of the MCU. And it probably probably was until, I don't know, maybe 2018, <laughs> maybe 2019. I don't know. I, I mean, yeah, because you're the two movies that came out 2014 were Winter Soldier and Guardians. They're both big changes. Yeah. So what what I'll say about the Winter Soldier is, I do think this movie is really funny. I think it. I it. Thing is, it's not really funny actually. I just think it handles the humor really well. I don't think they're forcing a ton of jokes in here, but the jokes that are are really good and feel natural in the script compared to what happens maybe a few years later. <laughs> and then the other thing. One of the things that I think doesn't work too well in this movie, at least for a casual Marvel fan, which I was when I saw this movie, is who the hell is Bucky? <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. Well, I mean, we, I mean, we, we could talk for hours about Bucky, and by that I mean like twelve minutes because he's barely in these movies. I mean, I think I really think there is a problem with Bucky where it's like they don't set him up very well in the first Captain America movie. You know, and half the time you see him in the other movies, he half the time he's like brainwashed and not himself. And I think it's I think this movie struggles a lot with like, oh, the big twist is that Bucky's alive. But I think most people sit there and go, who is this guy? Yeah, that 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 was me in 2014 being like, wait, like having to Google afterwards, like, oh, he was the guy from the first movie. I don't, I don't really remember him, actually. Who was he in the first movie? Because <laughs> so much of, of Captain America's character kind of hangs on the idea, like, this was his best friend. This is his best friend. Yeah. And just just because of the, I think, the poor setup of him in the first Cap movie, it it's hard for them to sell that. I think they do mostly sell it through the acting. Like, I think, I think uh, Sebastian Stan and Chris Evans have like they get along very well and Evans is such a good actor that he can sell yeah. like this is someone who's really important to me and even like when they do the reveal in Winter Soldier when like the mask falls off and the way the camera moves in it's like all the directing and the acting is telling you this is someone important so yeah. like they're yeah they're I totally the get best that they I just can. didn't know who it was no and I, I I totally agree and I think it's a kind of a problem with Bucky overall because half the time he's not even himself and so much of, of his character is like important to cap's character but anyway um i do like winter soldier yeah yeah it's a good movie but you want to talk about Gal- guardians of the galaxy yeah I, I think this is i think a lot of people credit this movie as being one of the pivotal changes in this universe where when they nailed guardians of the galaxy like all rules were off like no no one knew anything about these characters. Who the hell was Rocket Raccoon? Who the hell was Groot? No one had heard of any of these people. And it was a huge success. Like, pe- I-, I remember people raving about this movie. And it was it was like one of the most talked about ones next to the Avengers. And you'd never heard of them before. It was really funny. The soundtrack stands out as one of the best parts, which you can't say about many other Marvel movies. Right. And it really, I'll, I, I'll say it, all rules were off. Because after this, they were like, okay, now we can make Ant-Man. Now we can now we can like add more humor into these movies and just get really wacky and it was proof that they can do anything I think. Yeah, and and like to your point, I think even 
the this is not even the original Guardians. There's like there's been a couple in the comics. There's been a couple groups that call themselves the Guardians of the Galaxy. I think. Yeah. And this is not even the original one. And from what I've heard from people who've actually read the comics, this isn't even very similar to like like the characterization of each of these characters is not even very similar to the comics. Like it is kind of its own thing. And I think again that's part of why it works so well is like it's just James Gunn being James Gunn. Like I I know I know the script was was co-written by um Nicole Perlman. Um but I think she kind of did just kind of the basic layout cuz I think she's one of like Marvel's like in-house script editors and script writers. Um I think she did like kind of a basic layout for the movie but then James Gunn came in and he made it as he said, quote made it more James Gunn. And I and I think it's kind of an example of like one of the earlier examples of, oh, people will see anything that has Marvel on it. And so we can get a little bit weird and a little bit wacky, a little bit nutty, go into different genres, and people will see it cause, just because it says Marvel. Which in some ways is kind of interesting that they can tell all kinds of different stories in different genres and maybe expose people to something they wouldn't otherwise go see. But because it's Marvel, people will go see it. And that I think is interesting. Yeah, I, th- I think you nailed it right there. It's also the first time with it that we go to space. Yeah, that's true. Which is kind of which Except is kind of a big thing. Avengers and what's it, well, yeah, but they don't really spend a lot of time in space in the Avengers. I know. I'm mostly um, joking. Yeah, and, and then and what's interesting to me about this movie is that they didn't want Chris Pratt because oh really I didn't know that I think I think um, Sarah Halle Finn, who's the casting director for the MCU, I think she suggested to James Gunn. She suggested you should get Chris Pratt from Parks and Recreation. And I think James Gunn was like, no way. That's totally wrong for the character. That's not what I see at all. That that would that would not work. And like supposedly Sarah Hallie Fent like had to like beg him to like just please consider Chris Pratt. Like yeah. like just let just let him audition. Let him screen test or what just please get, please. I really think this will work. And then once Gunn finally like caved and was like, fine, I'll I'll let him audition or whatever. Once that happened, Gunn was like, oh, damn it, you were right. Like, of course it's got to be. Like, this guy's so good. Like, mm-hmm. of course it's Chris Pratt. <laughs> so, yeah, that that to me I think is interesting. Um, I've, I've rewatched this movie the other day. I, th- mm-hmm. I think, like, the first five minutes are, like, five of the best minutes in this entire franchise where Chris Pratt is just dancing to come and get your love on a planet. Like, it's just so wacky well, and weird. It's oh, such a no. great – Wait, is that it really the first sets five the minutes tone. or there's the first five minutes his mother? Well, I I think those are probably both in five minutes. It's probably okay. the same five minutes. I mean, but yeah, yeah, because that's because that's a really good opening. Um, and then yeah, the, yeah, the beginning where he's like singing into like it's some kind of squid animal bug thing. Like, it's yeah, it's funny. It's like um, yeah, it's it's the MCU kind of doing comedy for the first time, like going mm-hmm. all in on it. Right. Which is again, James Gunn, another weird hire. Because he had written the two Scooby-Doo movies, which didn't do well at all, at least, like, critically. You know, so and, like, odd. so they're going to hire him to do Guardian. Like, it's it's pretty it's pretty weird, but he nailed it. He did a great job. Mm-hmm. Then we get Age of Ultron. Uh, which the, I love. <laughs> the other Joss Whedon movie, which I have issues with, which we can go into. First, tell me what you like about the movie. I... 
I, I, I agree. There's a lot says, to like. There's a lot. I, I, I agree. There's a lot to like in this. I like how I tell you to please tell me and then I start talking again. But I agree with you <laughs> that there's a lot to like in this movie. And I think I also like this movie more than most people. I just don't like it as much as you. So please tell me what you love about it. <laughs> I, I, every time I watch this movie, I'm always like, am I wrong? Like, is this movie really worse than the Avengers? Like people really seem to hate this movie. A lot of people at least. And every time I watch it, I'm like, no, it is damn good. I think there's tons of great character moments between all the Avengers with each other. Like the, where they all try lifting, where they all try lifting the hammer. It's fantastic. Totally agree. I, I think it's a, it's a great start to two characters that I think are really good. Scarlet Witch and Vision. I love having them in this movie. I think they get a good start. Um, the villain is fine. It's whatever, but I think there's a lot of great action set pieces in this movie too. I, I like the end battle a lot where they're all doing the same thing again. They do the long take and it's, it's amazing. Uh, I think Hawkeye is pretty good in this movie actually. Uh, of, of course, um, Black Widow, Hulk romance completely sucks, but I, it's, it's very easy for me to overlook that. I, I, it's it's super fun. I don't know what to say other than that. It's, I think it's super fun and entertaining. Okay, I can tell you what I don't like about it because I oh, I think. Great. But okay, but, oh oh, like you're not going to do this to me in in another twenty <laughs> minutes. So okay, one of the things I loved about the first Avengers movie is I love watching them like all get together and team up, and I love that the first Avengers ends with them disbanding, and this movie doesn't show them getting back together again and now you can kind of hand wave it and say well of why waste time seeing something we've already seen before but i don't know i just kind of like i like i like watching the team up i like i like the getting the gang together part of the movie and this movie doesn't show that i understand why it doesn't but i I, me it's a little bit of pet peeve um Hmm. you're i like you're right about a lot of the character stuff where like like this movie is kind of an apology to Hawkeye because he was brainwashed for the first half of the first Avengers movie, yeah. so Joss Whedon is like, I'll make it up to you, Renner. Don't worry. Like, so Hawkeye gets some good moments. I agree. There's a lot of good character moments. Like, I mean, there's there's a there's a reason that the code name for this movie was After Party because like that scene of them just sitting around and telling jokes and trying to lift the hammer. It's very good. It's a lot of good character stuff in here. The the I love the little monologue that Hawkeye gives to, to Scarlet Witch. Like you know, if you step That's out that door, that's one of door, my favorite. Yeah, you are an Avenger. Like it's a it's a good it's a good moment. Um, but you're I, right. The yeah, the Black fantastic. Widow Hulk thing it, in 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 the words of my uncle is repulsive. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then they and then they're kind of stuck with it for the rest of the series. Luckily, they don't they don't lean on it too much. But, um. What is so bad about this movie? Uh, there's a lot in it, and I like a lot of the individual pieces, but I kind of think there's too much going on. Like, I feel like the Hulkbuster thing, as fun as it is, kind of could be cut for time. Is that? I mean, it, it's really fun, and I like it, but I kind of don't know how it really contributes to the story. I, and then there's the whole middle section where Thor takes a bath in a cave because Kevin Feige demanded that we have another infinity stone section of the movie. So Joss Whedon was forced to film this. Then there's yeah. the whole scene of Tony goes to like Sweden to hack into the internet. I was just going to mention Sweden. It's like it, that, that doesn't make any sense. And it's pretty stupid. Like that's, that part I think is weird. Um, the other thing that I, I kind of struggle with the movie is the, I think the twins, you know, Wanda and, and Pietro, um, mm. Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch, 
I kind of feel like they switch alliances so fast that it gets a little bit jarring. Like, I feel like I, I would mm. want to see more of, like, I don't know, because, like, there's the, because I, I, every time I watch it, I'm like, how do they, how do they get on the, on the good side again? And then I, and then there's the quick shot of, like, oh, she reads the mind of Ultron and is like, oh, he's going to blow everything up. Right. And, and it, but it happens very quickly. And I kind of feel like the, the turn from bad guy to good guy is not totally earned, I guess. All right. Um, and then you mentioned the villain being not good or being so so, mm-hmm. and I like James Spader. I'm fine. I'm yeah, fine. He's great. He's he's great. He's a great performance from from Spader. But I think I think the character and I think I think the villain is just not very good. And because the thing I th- always think about with this movie is I feel like the stakes are too high. And then I was thinking about that because I knew I'd have to defend this to you. And I was like, well, why do I feel like the stakes are too high in this movie when in Infinity War the stakes are even higher and I believe it? And I think it just comes down to Thanos is a good villain and Ultron isn't. Ultron's not a very good right. villain. I don't yeah. think he's a good enough villain to justify I'm going to blow up the entire world. It's like, no, I don't I don't believe you. Like, there's never a part of me that feels like, oh, is there a chance that Ultron could actually win? Like, I don't know. It's, you know, I, I, don't, I don't buy it. And it, it just feels like it's... Because like even in the first Avengers movie, the the question is like, well, will they be able to work together as a team? It's a different question than can they beat the villain? You know, where right. in this movie, it's like you know they could beat the villain. They know how to work together as a team. You know they're gonna win. He's not really that big of a threat. It's just you know, uh, Jason Snell said it on the Incomparable. He said he said it, it's it's a weird place to put a movie, and I kind of think that's true. And actually, I don't know if you know that YouTube channel Nando V Movies. Do you know that mm-hmm. channel? Yeah, he did a video. Uh, called uh, phase two is in the wrong order <laughs> hmm. which is really interesting and he basically makes the argument that like age of ultron should be one of the first movies in the mcu the idea being that after the avenger or, or not in the mcu in phase two of the mcu the idea being that after the avengers tony is like all right i've seen space like i like things came out from space and attacked new york and also, I had to go to space, and that was freaky. So I'm going to build – I'm going to put a suit of armor around the world. Oops, that goes wrong, and then Ultron happens, right? right. And then that if that happens before Winter Soldier – this is one of the other people complaints people have about Ultron is like S.H.I.E.L.D. shows up, but S.H.I.E.L.D. was destroyed in Winter Soldier. I'm not totally sure how that works because there's, you know, there's that line of like, oh, this is S.H.I.E.L.D. Oh, this is what S.H.I.E.L.D. is supposed to be, and it's like – yeah. Uh, that's a little confusing after winter soldier you know and and like if you were to move winter soldier after age of ultron then you get then you would you know shield can come save the day in ultron and then shield would be dismantled because you realize that they're hydra inside of them and then you end phase two with iron man three of him blowing up all of his suits saying, I don't need to be Iron Man anymore. I know who I am. And then if you end phase two with Tony kind of hanging up the mantle, is that the phrase? <laughs> Whatever. Kind sure. of kind of hanging it up and saying, I'm okay, I'm I'm done. I don't need to be I don't need this these suits anymore. Blow them all to hell. I'm good. I know who I am. I am Iron Man. Then if that's how phase two ends, then the next time we see Tony put on the Iron Man suit, it's to fight Captain America. Which would be a really interesting idea. Yeah, because one interesting thing at the end of Age of Ultron is 
t- Tony says, he's like, uh, you know, I'm not really sure what is next on my path. Like, I think I might take it easy for a while. And then the next movie is Civil War. So <laughs> it never really feels like there's a break or anything. Uh, I just I, I, no- I noticed it watching this time. It was sort of a weird thing to add in there. Doesn't really feel like it belongs. And I think that kind of goes to, I think, one of the problems with this franchise is that, like, it never fucking ends. Because it's like, yeah. like f- you if you want to f- make, like, a self-contained movie, you have to feel like, well, this isn't this is an ending. We've ended the movie now. And having a movie end with the character say, like, we've been through a lot. I'm going to hang it up for a while. Like, we're going to – I'm just going to kick back and relax. Like, that works as the ending to a standalone movie. But it's like, but this is a franchise and it never really ends. So mm-hmm. it's like that. You're right. That line doesn't actually make any sense because it's like they're just going to make another one with the same people over again, like the next year. Right. It's like it's like this, these movies can't actually these movies are not allowed to actually have an ending because they always have to like set up and tease like the next thing, which is not always bad. Like I'm not one of these people who thinks that like every movie has to be con- like I once heard someone complain about Batman Begins. The end of the movie is like the Joker card. And their complaint was like, but that, that, that doesn't make any sense within the context of the movie. There's, I have no reason to care about that within the context of the movie. It only works because people know there's a character called the Joker in, the, in this thing called Batman. That's, a, mm-hmm. that's an extreme version of like every movie should be con- extremely self-contained. That's an extreme version yeah. I don't agree with. But it's, you know, things, endings make things matter. And I think endings are good for stories. But when you have move, a franchise and a series where it, it never ends, it, it, it starts to feel like this is the same thing over and over again. So you're right. It's a weird line to put there. They have it there because they want to feel like, well, this is the end of the phase. It's the end of one of the big team up movies. But ultimately, it doesn't work because they're just, there's just going to be another one next year. And by the way, did right. you know at the end of that, at the end of the Age of Ultron, they were going to, they wanted to have Captain Marvel? <laughs> Oh really? That's that why there's cool. that there's that weird shot of like each character coming in and like landing on like a the little area. You know what I'm talking about? At the end no. of the movie where like like Wanda like oh, floats yeah. down and Fa- yeah, Falcon yeah, yeah. comes in. Like then they each kind of like stand there, they each kind of stand around. Uh and it and every character comes in on their own shot. Like it's not like a wide shot of all the characters coming in, it's like a close up mm-hmm. on each one because they yeah. weren't sure who they were going to put in there for the for the final ending, so they just had to shoot everyone individually. And the originally they wanted to have Captain Marvel come in, and that was where she that was going to enter. Too was, weird. It would it would have been kind of weird probably, yeah, but like that was the idea. But that's Age of Ultron. I like Vision. Oh, I I I think I need to say something else about that. Okay, movie. you defend it more, please. No, I'm not even going to try and defend it, really. I, th- I think you make a lot of, like, valid criticisms, but they're criticisms that don't really bother me or get in the way because I do think this is just a super fun movie. And what the point I'm trying to make here is that this is the movie for me that got me hooked on the MCU. I, I, th- I think I even mentioned this way back in episode one of this show, but just to reiterate, I remember being in high school, this movie was coming out, friends of mine walk into class like matt you going I'm like, what's going on where am i going <laughs> tonight opening night we're seeing age of ultron avengers 2 is coming out tonight everyone's going you got to be there and i was like oh okay i'm buying tickets right now and like there was just such a buzz in the air i was super excited the movie is fun turn my brain off i'll ignore all the criticisms it's just super fun it got me hooked and that's that's when i just went from like a casual fan of these movies to someone who was like into it and reading up on the history of it and what they were going to do next so i think there's a ton of nostalgia in it for me which is why i sort of just turn a blind eye to all the bad stuff about it 
Eh, that's fair. I mean, and now that, that, this was, I think, also the first MCU movie I saw in theaters because my friends were going to see it, and uh, kind of, kind of in the same boat as you, where it was like this was the first one that got me hooked, where I realized, oh, they're doing something I've never, I've never seen in movies before, which is this shared universe thing, which is, I think, one of the things that we love most about this franchise, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, I definitely. mean, it, it's this is what they're doing has never been done before. It. It clearly cannot be replicated, or at least not replicated well, because people keep trying and they keep failing. Like, it shows how hard it is to actually do this. And the fact that they were the first ones to do it and they continuously, for the most part, are pulling it off is kind of amazing. And it's a lot of fun when it all when it all works. Like, like I just – like. I think Kevin Feige is a genius is basically what I'm saying because this this is a this is pretty amazing. Like that's why we love it. It's like it's not that each individual movie is outstanding on its own, but that it's so much fun that it all connects. That's that's what that's mm-hmm. why we love it. Yeah, there's there's always a payoff and there's always something to look forward to. Exactly. Exactly. Um so okay, so that's Age of Ultron. Is that the end of phase 2? Oh no, Ant-Man is technically the end of phase 2 for some reason. Yep. Yep. Which I don't think it's a great movie. It's one of those movies where I think it's very cliche. I think it has the problems that Iron Man avoided, which is like you said Iron Man doesn't feel like the typical hero's journey kind of story, whereas I think Ant-Man feels like this is a very typical movie that's not that interesting. And, you know, I think the best thing about the movie is Paul Rudd, basically. I mean, I think I think I couldn't I couldn't even watch these movies without without him. Yeah, I I agree. I don't think there's a ton to say about Ant Man. I, I I was just, before you even said it, I was going to say Paul Rudd is the reason these movies are good. And one Absolutely. one of the fun things about this movie is that uh, some of that interconnected stuff pays off. Where Ant Man has to go to the Avengers facility and Falcon's there because of course he would be there. And of, of course, it's a really forced cameo. And it's yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's pretty forced. It's it's super forced, but it. It just makes it more fun that the fact like, oh, yeah, remember that guy. He's in here, too, because it makes sense that someone would be there. So regardless of the fact that it's force, it's just a nice payoff. Yeah. And of course, this was this was originally supposed to be part of phase one. Scott Lang was supposed to be part of the original Avengers, but um, because it it was supposed to be an Edgar Wright movie. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And Edgar Wright had been talking about doing an Ant-Man movie for a while. And. I've look. I've read into this a lot, and it looks like, as far as I can tell, it was one of those things where Edgar Wright wanted to make an Ant Man movie, but he didn't want to make a Marvel Studios movie, and I think yes. that was kind of the main thing there. Edgar Wright still gets a writing credit on the movie, but because uh, I think like a lot of like the bones of the move of the story structure were were put down by him, but um, ultimately it didn't work out, I, and I think he left with only like a few weeks before they started shooting, like I think it was kind of quick that they had to get Peyton Reed, mm-hmm. but, um, and it, do like a rewrite. Maybe I have that wrong. Cause that, but, but I don't know. It just, that to me is the kind of thing that's kind of annoying about the MCU is like, they they do have to do the forced cameos thing and they do have to make it all connect. And, in and in some ways it's like, that's fun, but in other ways, like, but then people like Edgar Wright don't get to do their thing. Like you're not getting right. like, like th- I guess there's always that question there of like, are you giving the actual creators enough freedom to do what they want? And I think yeah. I kind of feel like for the most part, Marvel usually does. And then it's just kind of like, 
on whoever does the team up movies to figure out, okay, well, this is what they did. So you figure out how to make it work in your team up movie. Like, you know, um, right. Yeah. It would probably be a much, it would definitely be a much better movie without the cameo and with Edgar Wright. I think it'd be a much better movie with, yes, that's a very good way to put it. It'd be a better but as an Edgar I, Wright movie first and foremost. And if they, they could ditch the cameo. Yeah. But I don't hate it as it is. I, I, I don't hate it either. I just am very infrequently in the mood to rewatch. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, you hate these movies. I wow. I just I just am frustrated because I love a good heist movie, and that's what Ant Man is trying to be. And I don't mm-hmm. think it's a good heist movie. And it drives me crazy. It's like I want a good heist movie, especially with like the superpowers thing and like the shrinking and the growth. Like it's it's such a cool idea, and it just it's it's frustrating to me that it's not better. Especially knowing that Ed, that Edgar Wright was supposed to do it. it that's that's yeah. more of what it, my problems are not. I don't think it's a bad movie. My frustration is that I know it could be so much better. Yeah. So one one last thing I'll add about this movie is I think this is a point watching these movies where I was getting really tired of the villains and how awful the villains were. Like Ye- Yellow Jacket or Hornet, whatever his name is, he sucks. I, I have it's no idea what villain. his goal is. Yes. But I think it's I think. Pretty much after that, these villains start to get a lot better. Civil War, Homecoming, Ragnarok, Black Panther, Infinity War. We got some really good villains in the next couple of years. Maybe maybe because they realized how much it sucked early on. You're saying Phase 3 is kind of the turning point. Sure. Is that what's next? Yeah, because Ant-Man's <laughs> the end of Phase 2. So Phase 3 begins with Captain America Civil War, also directed by Anthony and Joe Russo and also written by Christopher Marcus and Stephen McFeely, who've written the other two Captain America movies. And this is like... This is a huge hit. I mean, this is yes. This, I mean, this is this makes a t- how much? I wonder how. I wonder how much money it's made. Talk about this movie. I want to look up how much money it made. Well, this is the movie that we got Spider Man in, and it was so nice to have this in here. It was. I I still remember this happening and how much hype there was leading up to it. Like there was so much hype just about the fact that he was gonna be in the movie before right. he even got cast. People were just talking about this nonstop. And then they get Spider-Man in the movie, and it's the best Peter Parker we've ever seen. And I'm just so thankful that we got it in the way it is. And it doesn't, it doesn't really feel that forced either. I don't think he's not, he's not in it for a ton of time, which makes sense. He he just f- plays a very small role, the role that they need him to play, and then and then he goes back to America. I'm sorry, who 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 plays a small role? Spider-Man. Oh yes, yes, I yes, I agree. Um, sorry, I was looking up how much money it made. It made one point one billion dollars. So this is a, an, another billion dollar Marvel movie. Yeah. Um. So yes, a huge hit, a huge success, and partially because of Spider Man. You're right. This is this is this is Disney and Sony have have worked out their deal. Uh, they they made a deal uh to get Spider Man into the MCU. Um, they're allowed to use at this point. They were allowed to use him in like two or three. I think three of their own movies. And then they were going to like co-produce Spider-Man solo movies was the deal they worked out uh, where Sony puts up basically like 95% of the money and then makes like 95% of the money. But at least uh, Marvel Studios gets to actually produce it and have it in the the MCU. Um, Yeah, I remember when I was showing my uncle these movies for the first time, uh, we we got to Civil War and I didn't tell him that Spider-Man was in it. And watching him figure out that, oh, this is Peter Parker. This is Spider-Man. 
they're bringing Spider-Man into these movies. Like, he literally looked over at me. He goes, this is blowing my mind right now. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, a- and so afterwards, true. I asked him about it, and he's and he said, I had, I had no, I didn't expect it. And he said, honestly, if you asked me which one was Spider-Man, DC or Marvel, I think I would have guessed DC. I had no idea he was even an option to be in these movies. You know, because he doesn't wild. follow this stuff, you yeah. know. So, um yeah, so it's 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 really good. It's a really great uh great casting choice of Tom Holland. It's a great performance. They they don't they don't overuse him, but it's yeah, this is this is a great this is a great movie. I I think we we shouldn't overlook either. This is the first movie with Black Panther in it, and I think Black Panther gets a great start in this franchise. He just comes off as so badass and so mysterious. Yes, that's right. We we always talk about how this is the first one for Spider-Man, but it's the first one for Black Panther as well. And I think my some of my issues with the Black Panther movie kind of trace back to the fact that Black Panther gets a full, complete story arc in Captain America: Civil War. <laughs> so right. by the time he gets his own movie, it's like how does how does he grow as a person by the end? Of, I'm like, I know he does, but it's like I don't know. It just I think it makes the job of the Black Panther solo movie a little bit harder. This character's already been through like a complete transformation, like <laughs> right. right. Um, but yes, yes, they they are introducing two new characters to the Marvel universe, and it's kind of amazing because, like, I, I I said as part of Age of Ultron, oh, there's too much going on. There's so much going on in Civil War too, but I just think it's better balanced. I guess I just think it everything is m- mostly everything is needed. Um, yeah, I, I was gonna say it doesn't feel as much like there's fluff like there is Age of Ultron. Right. I think I think the one thing I will criticize about um, just because I think this is a really good example of it is, um, I can't remember who made this point. I think was it, I think it was Patrick Willems had made this point. But like Stan Lee has talked about, when you're writing comics, you need the illusion of change because you need people to feel like the characters are changing to keep people invested. But you can't actually change these characters too much because then. There's no story. Like you need them to keep being superheroes and keep fighting, and you like their personalities. So you can't actually have the characters change, but you need the audience to feel like the characters are changing. And mm-hmm. I think Civil War is a good example of this. I think most notably is when Rhodey gets hit, and like he like loses, like he like, he's paralyzed and like he can't walk anymore. And it's like it's it's played like oh this is a big deal and this is a big moment. But then, like, by the end of the movie, he gets, like, his robot legs that Tony builds him, and it never real. I mean, it sort of comes up. Again, to the Russo brothers' credit, they find ways to make it feel relevant again. But for the most part, he just walks, like, normal. Like, it doesn't really affect anything. Like, they, ha- they have yeah. little scenes where he mentions it, or it's a little bit of a problem. But it's it, to me, this, this, is, um, this is there to make people feel like... This is a bigger deal than it actually is because we can't actually right. have too much change in the movies. Yeah. But I, I, I will say that this movie does a great job at setting up Infinity War because had this movie not happened and all the Avengers were living in Avengers uh, Tower together or the base up in New York, they would have been much more equipped to fight Thanos than they were due to the the fallout of what happens with the Sokovia Accords and everything. Right. And that's why they lose to Thanos is because they're not working as a team. They're not, they're not working together. That's, that's why they lose. And so yes. you need civil war to do that. Um, there, there's kind of part of me that wishes we spent, I mean, it's two years between civil war and infinity war. I almost wish there'd been even more time to really sit with it, <laughs> but, mm-hmm. um, right. yeah, cause, cause 
I don't know. It just seems like the, a civil war is such a huge change. You gotta you gotta sit with it for a while. But I guess two yeah. years is is good enough. Um, but yeah. So so and then even by the end of the movie, it's like, well, they're still friends. They don't hate each other, right? It's just they disagree about paperwork. And then I think you could even question, well, how much change is really happening there? But it it, it is. I think I think that part works, and I think that is right. Like you said, it does lead it does lead into Infinity War very well. I remember going into Civil War. You and I saw it together. Actually, this was the first one we yep. saw together. Yeah, I think so. Going into Civil War, I remember thinking like, okay, well, I get the the idea. The premise of the movie is that they disagree about government regulation or something, and they have a they have to fight about it, but. By the end of the movie, they have to get together again. Like, isn't isn't the the to me the question of the movie is how do they end the movie with Tony and Cap being friends again after this huge disagreement and this big fight? And I think to this movie's credit, they don't do that. And to yeah. me, that was the most interesting thing about the movie is that is that they're like, no, there is no resolution to this. We because this is just a fundamental disagreement. And then yeah. ha- and then how do you feel about Zemo? I I think he's a pretty good villain. I do, he, I do too. There's people who feel like he's he's nothing. That's what I like about him is that he's smart enough to be like I can't take these guys on my own. I'll just have them kill each other. <laughs> I like he, that. He doesn't it's he smart. doesn't have any he doesn't have any goals except he wants to rip these people apart. And he get he, he wins. He fulfills that goal. <laughs> right. O- only thing he doesn't do is kill himself at the end. Right because T'Challa stops him. Yeah. Because T'Challa goes from I'm going to kill the guy who killed my father. Which he, first he thinks is Bucky, then he realizes it's Zemo, and then he go, and then he says, "But you know what? I'm not going. I'm not. He has to serve justice. We can't. I can't just kill." Character development, like mm-hmm. that's good. Um, but yes, I like Civil War a lot. I think it's I think it's a fantastic movie. I think it's one of the best in the MCU. Uh, and it's Russo brothers just doing yep. what they do best. Mm-hmm. Um, Doctor Strange, it's pretty good. <laughs> so yeah, it's fine. It's decent. It's um, basically Iron Man. But worse, yep. I think I think they try to make him too much like Tony Stark, and also I don't think this movie's funny. I think it's trying to be funny and it's not. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, I think Doctor Strange is better in the two Russo brothers movies. Definitely. Um, I think they kind of it's almost like the Russo brothers figured him out and how to use him, mm-hmm. whereas Scott Derrickson didn't really know what to do. It'll be interesting to see how that sequel turns out. Yeah, I'm not optimistic. <laughs> I'm kind of not either. Guardians 2. Good move. Great move. I think maybe even maybe even better than the first one. Some people say. Yeah, I I'm not too crazy about this movie. Um I I don't think I don't think it's a very strong villain. It's in it's I said there were a lot of good villains in Phase 3. I don't think this is one of them. E- Ego just wants to destroy planets because that's what he does. He doesn't really have any reason to do so. And then what, I, I had some other nitpicky criticisms of this movie. Uh, of Guardians it's too. Definitely, okay. Yeah, it's def, it's the humor isn't as fresh for me. Hmm, okay. But it's it's still fun, still watchable. Um. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I I like it because I I don't know. I I like I kind of like the whole idea of like the found family. Like he realizes, oh, uh, the blue guy, Michael Booker, isn't that his name? What's his name? <laughs> Yondu? Yondu. Thank you. I blanked. He realizes, like, oh, this guy's been like, more like a dad to me than my own dad. I don't know. I, I really like that idea of, yeah, this guy may be 
you know, biologically my family, but I can reject him because he's an asshole. And this other guy who's not actually related to me is actually more important and more of a father figure. I like that idea. There's a lot of family in Guardians too. Like, and like Nebula and Gamora, like actually become, they, this is where they first become sisters, really, right? Right. This is where they like first learn to like get along and like they both hate their dad because he's a dick. Like, <laughs> and we yeah, should I, say I, that I, um, Guardians one is the first appearance of Josh Brolin as Thanos, which is a setup right. for later. But anyway, go on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do. I do remember thinking about this movie more now. It's coming back to me what I didn't like so much. I remember it takes a while for the movie to really get going to figure out what the conflict is because it's not revealed until maybe an hour or so in that ego's the bad guy. And I mean, you can, you can sort of pick up on it with some clues, but for a while there was like a 20 or 30 minute period where I was like, what? There's no problem here. They're just having a fun time on his planet right now. <laughs> I, I, I think the movie is definitely saved by the last 15 or 20 minutes with the fantastic funeral for Yondu, which is really emotional and well done. I think if, if it weren't for that, I wouldn't like this movie that much. Yes, that that part is really good. the The intro is really good with the uh, with the uh, the fight scene in the background, Mr. Blue Sky, and it's just Baby Groot dancing. <laughs> yeah, it's fantastic. Um, I've heard people criticize Marvel for like just doing previs like pre pre visuals on all their fight scenes. Like, I think there was a report that Marvel tried to get one woman to direct Black Widow. But the re- but she dropped out or she refused to do it because Marvel had told her, don't worry about the fight scenes. We take care of all that. And she was like, I don't want to then I don't want to do that. And I think I've heard people praise the two Guardians movies because the fight scenes are less previs. They're less done by the Marvel in-house team and they're more James Gunn using fight scenes to do like character work and show character like the opening scene where you you see them all fighting but it's not about the fight like the whole scene has to be designed around baby Groot dancing which means you have to totally do the fight scene completely differently mm-hmm. um I don't know enough about fight scene choreography and stuff to really comment on that but I think it's an interesting criticism and uh, it's it's praise for the Guardians movies that I haven't heard before Hmm. Um, and it's also the Guardians movies, I think, also avoid um, what is it? The, the Patrick Willems criticism that the Marvel movies all look ugly because the color grading is all flat and gray in a lot yeah. of these movies, whereas the Guardians movies have a lot of color, especially the second one, I think. Right. Um, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I haven't watched I haven't watched the, the Guardians movies in a while, so I, I don't really remember too much. I just remember liking them both a lot. I think they're both really, really good and I and I enjoy them. Mm-hmm. And that's the Guardians. What's next? Spider-Man Home. We I think we might we might start have to speed up a little bit some of these next movies. Um, well, Spider-Man Homecoming is is the second appearance of Spider-Man. Yes. I mean, I think it's I think it's a great movie. I think it's I a, think it's really fun. It's 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 really fun. Um, this is the only character that's still doing the secret secret identity thing. Yep. And it works because it's Spider-Man. That's his whole. That's kind of his whole thing. Yeah, I I think we get another great villain. Michael Heaton does a fantastic job. Yeah, the, he does. The, the whole uh, homecoming scene where he shows up to their house is really well done. It's There's so much tension in the room. It is such a good twist. And then the scene in the they, car. Yeah. Yes. Yes, it's, yeah, fan, it's they, fantastic. They do a really good job. At the time, was the best Spider-Man movie that we ever got. I would argue still is. <laughs> but, oh, well, hold on. No, I wouldn't argue that. Because I think Spider-Verse is better. I think Spider-Verse is amazing. 
I'm saying this came out before that. Oh, I thought you meant you would still argue that. I'm sorry. Yes, at the time, best Spider-Man movie. Mm-hmm. Then we get Thor Ragnarok. Yep. yep. Which is interesting because it's it's they because the first two Thor movies are not great. The second one flat out sucks. And so they bring in Taika Waititi, who made What We Do in the Shadows, not a, mm-hmm. a very a kind of a small mockumentary style like New Zealand comedy movie. They bring him in. He completely fixes all the problems with Thor. <laughs> Yeah, that like you didn't really realize were problems, but he fixes all of it. <laughs> yeah, they make Thor likable. Y- yes, for the first time, he's really, really likable. And they like I mean, I've commented about Thor Ragnarok is like they kill his dad. They blow up his hammer. He finds out he has a sister and then she dies and then his home blows up and is destroyed. Right. And they yeah. and like that's that's all pretty traumatic, and yet it's like one of the funniest movies in the MCU. Yeah, yeah, it's hilarious. Like, it's pretty amazing that Taika was able to kind of balance all of that, mm-hmm. like all the the traumatic events that happen, and yet still make it like laugh out loud funny. Like when I showed this, when I got to this this movie with my uncle, when I was showing him the movies, he he said this is the most I've laughed in a movie in a, in a long time. Which I was, and he and he said it's like one of his favorites in the series because it just is so much fun and is so much so funny, and yeah. yet he had complained about all of the visual effects and all the space stuff that's not realistic in the Guardians movies. He's like, oh, I don't like that. It's all special effects. It's all in space. None of it's grounded. None of it's real. Meanwhile, Thor Ragnarok like completely takes place in space. It's it's <laughs> right. just as many visual effects as any of the other movies, right? Yeah. But he got a kick out of it, and I thought that was I thought just that was interesting. So yeah, Taika totally fixes Thor. And does Hulk's a lot back. of does a lot of character work. We they bring the Hulk back, and I think it's Mark Ruffalo playing Hulk for the first time. Is that right? No. Whereas before it was who's the other who's the other guy who played Hulk? Ed um, No, no, no. The uh, the big the big wrestle guy. You know what I'm talking about? No. <laughs> okay. Is this a joke? Up. No, no, no. I'm being serious. Lou Ferrigno. That's right. Oh. Lou Ferrigno has has at least done the voice of the Hulk in the MCU. I believe that's right. I believe he did at least the voice of the Hulk in the MCU. I've never heard that. <laughs> maybe maybe I have that wrong, but but this is really the first time where the Hulk actually speaks. Mhm. And so yeah, besides saying puny god. It, exactly. That's what I mean. I think that's Lou Ferrigno. But anyway, like it's it's Banner doing the voice of the Hulk for the first time, or Mark Ruffalo doing the voice of the Hulk for the first time. We're getting this interesting thing. This is another thing about like, oh, these movies never end, and there's always something else. I don't like how they set up the Hulk in this movie of like, oh no, if I go Hulk, I might never come back to being Bruce Banner again. They kind of they set that up in the movie, and then they never go, and then later he just is Banner again, and they never they never use that. Like that to me is annoying. Right. Yeah. But, but other than that, that's a great movie. Yeah. No, it's really fun. Ta- Taika knows how to do Thor humor. <laughs> Absolutely. And I'm glad to see he's back for the next one. Mm-hmm. Um, then we get Black Panther, which I'm not a huge fan of, of everybody else. This is another example of a really good villain, but I just – I, the movie doesn't totally work with my brain. I don't know why. I don't hate it, but I don't love it. Yeah. Yeah, I think I agree the villain's great. I don't know if this is a – common critique of this movie but i do think there's like way too much cg in this movie i don't know if that's something anyone said before but are you making a joke no okay because <laughs> is that is that a common complaint the, no the common complaint about this movie is that the cg looks bad 
yeah, which okay. which it does. Uh, well, it's not that this movie has more CG than than any of the other movies. Believe sure, okay, me. Okay, sure, sure, yeah. <laughs> but yes, that's, that, that's what I mean. Yes, the visual effects in this movie, especially the end fight scene on that railroad or whatever. Yes. Yeah. Yes. It looks. Yes. It looks bad, and everyone has commented on this. Um, okay. I'm not alone. Yeah. 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 Oh, no, you're definitely not crazy. I think this movie really picks up in the second half when you learn about um, Killmonger was the guy at the basketball court in the opening scene. I think that's when the movie starts to get really good and fun. But I think the beginning first hour is sort of just going through the ropes of an origin story. Just feels like okay, here we go again. Yeah, I remember there's that scene where like they show Killmonger has like some necklace or something and the way they shoot it it's like whoa, this necklace is really important. But me as the audience member I'm like I don't know what that necklace is. I don't know what that means. I get they're going to explain it in the next scene, but it just feels like I don't know. I just remember that annoying me. But overall like it's a it's a pretty good movie and like um you're right. I think it I think it gets better in the second half and the villain is it's an interesting villain cuz it's like one of the only villains where the villain actually teaches the hero something and the hero changes right. because he's like, actually the villain was kind of right. Like a lot yeah. of these movies is like the hero has his like ideology and has his beliefs and the villain is like, you're wrong. And so the hero is like, I'm just going to keep doing what I do and th- doing my beliefs even more so until I win and see, I was right all along. Whereas mm-hmm. Black Panther's like, no, 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 the, the, the hero actually is kind of a little bit wrong, and the villain makes some decent points. He's a bit of an, a fanatic. He's a little yeah. extreme, but he makes some decent he has, points. He has bad, bad methods of achieving those goals, but he has somewhat noble goals. Right, and that's why I think it's, an, it, I think it's a still an effective, a good effective villain, even though I don't love most of the movie. Mm-hmm. Yep. Then we get into Infinity War. <sighs> I love this movie. Which is really a bad movie. I'm just kidding. <laughs> this, is a great, this is a great movie. This is a great movie this is this yeah. is not this is like this is like in my top four like mcu like this is this is i love this this is mm-hmm. okay let me because i know i know you want to i know you have a whole thing on this movie and i'll let you get to it but let me here's what i want to say i don't, about e- this I don't even know what i want to say other than that i just adore i don't <laughs> i don't on. even know what i want to say either but here's here's the one thing i'll say i remember going into this movie and thinking i don't understand the tagline to the movie because what's what's the tagline to the movie an entire universe once and for all and I remember going into it thinking, I don't understand why that's the tagline of the movie. Because is there's another movie after this. Isn't that movie going to be an entire universe once and for all? And then at the end of the Infinity War, half of the characters die. And it's like, oh, that's why. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. why this is really an entire universe. And I think the the brilliant, the brilliant kind of masterstroke of genius of of. of the structure of this movie is that it's all about Thanos. It's his movie. Exactly. He's and I, the protagonist. And that makes sense that they, that's the only way you can get all these people in one movie is like you have 22 or 25, whatever it is, heroes and then one villain. You can't have 22 protagonists and one villain, but you know what you can do? You can have one protagonist and 22 villains. Like you can do that. Exactly. That's, right. that's brilliant to me. And I, I think it's, I think it's very, very clever. And I love that. The, I love that Infinity War kind of has the balls to be like, yeah, we're going to end with half of all the characters you love dying. Like, yeah. yeah. And, and maybe part of the argument of the movie is, is Thanos kind of doing this meta commentary of like, this Marvel Universe has gotten too big and we need to, <laughs> we need to trim it down. But you, <laughs> exactly. but you, the audience, are like, no, but I like these people. So therefore, you're the bad guy. Like, <laughs> mm-hmm. right. <laughs> you know, so you don't like him. But 
I think I, it's so, so it's sort of meta in that sense too. I think yeah, I think it's I think it's very good. I feel like do I have criticisms of this movie that I wrote down? The one thing I will say about this movie that I think is a fair criticism is I think Thanos, I think his love for Gamora is not set up super well. Like hmm. like the best criticism I've heard is that like there should be like when he finds Gamora as a kid when they show that scene. It's not clear, like, why he's picking her. Like, why does he see something in her? And it it feels like there should have been something, even something small that takes, like, six seconds to just clarify there's something different about her. She's special in some way. Or, you know, she's a bit of a fighter, you know, and that's why Thanos is is attracted to her. But, like, they don't really show that, I don't think, in, in the flashbacks. Because, but at the same time, it's like they sell it really well when he has to kill her. Because, it, like, the acting on from James from Josh Brolin is so good, which is amazing that I'm calling it amazing acting when it's a totally CG character. But like, yeah, it is amazing. Like they and they do sell it. And like, I don't know, like that moment where where Gamora realizes that if she that she has to kill herself before Thanos mm-hmm. can, and she yeah. just immediately takes out a knife and stabs herself or tries to, right? Yeah. That tells you so much about the character in like three seconds. Mm-hmm. And the best criticism I've heard, I think it was, I think it was John Hodgman, that comedian, said, "I just wish there was something small like that that we saw her do as a child that showed why Thanos was so interested in her and why he mm. chose to adopt her." And right. I, that to me is the best criticism I've heard of the movie. Other than that, I pretty much like everything in it. Some things, some of the jokes don't totally work for me, but overall, I really like this movie. Yeah, I agree. It for, for me, it's just like. It's a two and a half hour movie. It is so long, but it never feels like a slog to me. Like it is just action packed from beginning to end. It never slow down, slows down. It's really like being strapped to a rocket. And every time I watch it, I'm just amazed. Like, oh shit, we're already at the end. Like it's already <laughs> here. I, I think it's super well done how the characters connect with each other in the way they meet up it it makes sense that thor meets up with the guardians Mm -hmm. uh it makes sense that they go to wakanda where bucky is and where they can they can operate on vision the way spider-man gets in it makes sense so much of it works and it doesn't feel forced at all because they could have thrown hawkeye valkyrie and ant-man in this movie but they don't need to be in this one so they're not in it right it really it really works that way, and I think there's just so many moments in this movie to like. So so many like jaw dropping moments. We have a Hulk, <laughs> Iron Spider, when he becomes Iron <laughs> Friday, unlock seventeen A. <laughs> Thor enters Wakanda. The Red Skull. Are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> I was, I I had never been more shocked than when Red Skull showed up on that screen. Yeah, that's that's pretty amazing. I think. I think the, I mean, you mentioned Iron Spider, but like, I think the most, one of the most amazing moments is right before that is like when they're having this fight in New York and they just cut away to Peter Parker on the bus. And yes. And it, well, one, it's the first, it's the first sense, it's the first uh, mention of like the Spidey sense in the, in the Mm -hmm. MCU. But also it's like, you watch it and you're like, oh yeah, you can do that now. You can just cut to Spider Man. And just throw him into, like, it's pretty amazing. No, it's, that's what's so much fun about Infinity War is that, like, it's all the characters that you love all coming together for the, mostly, for the first time. They kind of get divided into, like, two different teams. They're not really all together. Because, you know, they're they're divided into teams and things. But 
but they're all in one movie and that's mm-hmm. what's so much fun about it and they even have emotional parts in the movie i mean like you know uh, chris pratt and uh, uh, what's his name star lord and and gamora have their moment where like he's willing to kill her you know like like thanos has yeah. to throw gamora over the edge like the, you know there's there's the moment of tony stark and peter parker you're an avenger now like there mm-hmm. th- there's a lot of really good stuff a lot of good like character moments in this, in this movie too um yeah, it's it's really good. It it's really well done. There's so many payoffs. There's so many payoffs. It's it, I mean I think there's more payoffs in the next in the in the next Avengers movie, but it's it's just it's just fun. That's that's the thing. Mm-hmm. It is it's it's an adventure all the way through. And I I think I feel this less because I've seen this so many times, but I still remember just being in shock the first time at how far they went. Like I, I did not realize going into the movie that half of the universe was going to be eliminated. Like I knew they were going to lose. Everyone knew that Vision was going to die at the end of Infinity War, and that was going to be the end of the movie. I had no idea that also went hand in hand with half of the characters die. And I think that, and to me, that's kind of amazing that this huge blockbuster movie that, like, we talked about how the first Avengers. People said, "Oh, this is never going to work. There's too many characters." This has, you know, four times as many, and it and it's and it's not only does it work; it's outstanding how well they're able to integrate all these things. And then, and then on top of that, like the fact that they're willing to kill off half of their whole cinematic universe that they've built up, like they're willing to just do it. Like it's, and I and I love and I love that it's like I think the way the Russo brothers describe it is like it's not a cliffhanger. It would be a if we just had the snap and then it ended the movie it would be a cliffhanger but this it's a tragedy because we see everyone die and we see thanos win and we see him rest and as part of a grateful universe not not mm-hmm. grateful but you know he rests as part of a you know a universe that's now smaller it's half the size and i just i just think it's amazing that they were willing to go there cuz there was early drafts of these of the scripts of these two avengers movies where the snap happens like at the end of the first act of the second movie and that's when mm. all the characters die and it, it was it was feige who was like no put it no the, the the break is the snap like that's where you should do it yeah. you know and of course that makes so much sense um but yeah it's just it's to me it's amazing that they would even be willing to, to do that because it's like it's such a huge movie and there's so much riding on it. It's like it's part of the grand finale of their universe and they're like, we're just going to kill everyone. Like it's it's very cool to have a movie where like the villain wins. Like and to even make the villain the protagonist is cool enough and then have it to be where he actually wins. He goes on his own hero's journey. You understand where he's coming from, like his philosophy and his pain. Like it's it's very cool. It's very well done. Mm-hmm. It's it's very it's very impressive. I love it. I love it. Yeah, I I Every character in this movie gets their moment, even even if it's super small. Like so, so much makes sense. Like one one character that doesn't have a ton to do in this entire Groot. franchise is what's her name? Um, oh, I was I was gonna say Groot. He does he does one thing, which is he makes the the handle for Stormbreaker. Well, yeah, yeah, he he does one thing, but it's fucking amazing. <laughs> yeah, what's God? What's her name? The Guardian, Palm Clementine. Oh, oh, Mantis. Yes, Mantis. That's her name. Sorry. Like she, she has nothing to do in this entire franchise. But the thing that she does makes sense. She gets dropped from a portal onto Thanos's head to put him to sleep, because that's what she's there to do, and it makes sense. There's it. 
every character feels like they're in the right place at the right time and they still can't win. Yeah. No, it's 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 very well. I mean, well, that's why there's that amazing line, all that for a drop of blood. It's like right. they've thrown everything they have at this guy and it's and he barely bleeds. Like it's it's amazing. Like even the first scene where they set up that he just beats the shit out of the Hulk, like mm-hmm. without even using the stones. Like it's a it's a like Going back to Age of Ultron, like that, I think don't don't think is a very good villain, and I don't I think the stakes are too high. Whereas this movie, the stakes are the fate of half the universe. But the villain is so good and so well done, and it's because they make him the main character that like it's like yeah, I believe it. Like I kind of feel like Josh Brolin should be top build in this movie, not Robert. Yeah, right, <laughs> totally. But I think I think they give him a with. I think they give him with Josh Brolin as Thanos. Is that right? Something like that. I don't know. Yeah. I, I think another shocking thing about this movie is just how early you see Thanos, and it, it all goes back to him being the main character, but in, most of the time in any one of these movies, the villain shows up, I don't know, 20 or 30 minutes in maybe, or, or they don't become the villain until maybe an hour in sometimes. He's there in the very first scene. <laughs> I know what it's like to lose. It's like, the first line. Not, yeah, yeah. Well, it's not the first and, well, line. Well, after, after Squidward's whole, you know, after after yeah. Ebony Maw does his whole, like, told you about to die as children of Thanos, whatever. But the right. first line from Thanos is, I know what it's like to lose, which sets they're up the whole They're cutting straight movie. to the chase. Yeah, yeah, the movie's, like, telling you they're going to lose. Like, to feel that you're right and to lose all the same. It's so good. Mm-hmm. And such a great performance from Brolin. Yeah, it's fantastic. Have we have we gushed about Infinity War enough? <laughs> I think we have. Ant Man and the Wasp is next. Very little to say about this movie. It's yeah. maybe a little I, bit better than the first one. The fight scenes are a little more fun with the growing and the shrinking, but yeah, I actually like this movie. I think it's pretty fun. Uh, the The villain is not great by any means, but it's definitely a step up from the original Ant Man. So it gets a thumbs up for me. I think there's too much going on. I think there's like four villains and I don't I I like the idea that the villain is not a villain. Like it's like just someone trying to figure out their own thing. You yeah. know, like they're not actually a bad guy out to hurt anyone. They're just like an antagonist rather than like mm-hmm. a villain trying to hurt the main character. But then there's like the whole thing with the FBI or something. Like, I don't know. I just feel like there's too much going on in the last like act of that movie. There's too much, I don't know. But no, it's it's fine. I do like the ending. I think that the ending is pretty heartwarming um with him him getting his wife back and all that stuff and yeah they, that's good unshrink their house it's all very nice god, god that there's that scene where paul rudd is acting as uh <laughs> his, his, as the wife remember that scene oh yeah 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 that is really because like he's like channeling her <laughs> yeah, through the great. quantum zone or whatever like it's um and then there's the scene where he's four feet tall <laughs> <laughs> this movie's really funny it is. It is really good. I mean, it's not great, but it's it's fun. It. it I mean, yeah. again, anything with and anything with Rudd is fun. And and mm-hmm. this was, I think, the first movie where Paul Rudd gets a writing credit. Oh yeah. And so, it's an interesting case of like this. This is the only the Ant Man franchise is the only franchise where the actual guy who's playing the hero is also one of the writers. Mm-hmm. Which I think is kind of an interesting dynamic that they add, that they add to it. So hopefully yeah. that just keeps going with with the next Ant Man movie. Mm-hmm. Um, what's next? Oh, Captain Marvel. Not too much to say here for me. I think it's okay. I think it's good. Um, I like it. I think the first I, I, hour is. I think the first half is mostly pretty boring. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and rewatching it, I've I've kind of come around to what I think you said, which is it's not a very good performance from an Oscar-winning actress. <laughs> Did I say uh, that? I think I think I thought I remember you saying that. I think someone else said that. <laughs> well, I've come around to that opinion because rewatching it, I was like, yeah, it's not a good performance because she doesn't know who she is. Like the movie gets better once she figures out. Oh, I'm Carol Danvers. Like this is who I is my personality. But up until that, the first half of the movie, it's like she has no personality. She doesn't know who she is. It's not interesting. Like I like, and also it's like I I once heard someone compare it to the Jason Bourne movies, where like the whole movie is him trying to figure out like who am I? You know what I mean? But in this movie, it's like she doesn't know who she is, and it seems like she doesn't really care. Like it seems like it's not her priority <laughs> to figure out who she is. So it's like, well, why should I care? I don't know. I I, I think it. I think it's a movie that slowly gets better but by the time it's actually a really good movie it's like well we're already at the end now (laughs) i like brie larson i like her as the character i don't think it's a very good movie this is one of the other only movies i've seen once in this franchise which makes sense since it came out last year but my, my impression seeing it for the first time was i really liked the character carol danvers a lot but i didn't really care for the story the story, it, it also sort of like Doctor Strange, Black Panther, it feels like we're sort of just going through the ropes of an origin story and the good guy becomes the bad guy. That's the like very overdone twist in the movie. It's – but I don't know. I think the, the character redeems it. Well, because they're, they're avoiding the twist of like the scrolls or – like the, the idea is that in the comics, the scrolls are always the bad guys. So they're trying to do that twist for like the comic yeah. book fans. The other right. thing is that like in some ways it's not a typical origin story because they're trying to do like this nonlinear timeline thing. Mm-hmm. You know, like – and to me, I don't think they pull it off very well. And I'm kind of like I actually wish – I actually wish I could see just a regular traditional origin story because I think that would be better than whatever they're trying to do here because I don't think they're doing this very effectively. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm kind of I'm kind of happy to see that they have a new a, a different director for uh the second the second Captain Marvel movie. Yeah, definitely. Um, all right, and here we go, then, and then we get to Avengers Endgame, which is sort of the grand finale of this whole universe. Yep, it's almost like we should do Far From Home first. <laughs> what is there to say about Far From Home? I mean, I I, I actually think it's I actually think it's kind of a shame that this that the Sony contract mandates that they have a, a Spider Man movie every two every two years. Because I think that it's very clear that Marvel wanted Endgame to be the end of this saga, but they couldn't because they had this contract with Sony to do the Spider-Man. You know what I mean? Doesn't it feel like that? Um, I never really got that impression, but I could I could see what you mean. I don't know. To, I don't know. To, uh, Far from Home was not as good to me the second time watching it more recently, and um, it just kind of feels like a movie that that doesn't doesn't want to grapple with what happens in Avengers Endgame, but it has to. Um, I don't know. I just, I don't, I'm not a huge fan of, of, uh, I'm less of a fan of Far From Home, especially how it takes place after Avengers Endgame, because it just seems like with the way Endgame ends, they probably wished that this could have been the end of like the saga, but they can't. And that is a little bit frustrating. I like it a lot. I think it's well done. I like Jake Gyllenhaal a lot in it. Jake Gyllenhaal's good. Mysterio's good. The the freaking Sam Jackson's great. Sam Jackson's really good. The 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 set pieces or not I mean not set pieces, but like the scenes where like it's he's like in the world and they're he's creating the simulation all around him oh, yeah. and, and those yeah. like those are really trippy. That that's for me probably the highlight of the movie is because it just it gets Definitely. so trippy and so weird. And we see the dead Iron Man thing suit come out. <laughs> yeah, that's fun. That's good. But other than that, I I don't like it as much as the first movie, and I don't have a ton to say about it. Other than I think right. it 
shouldn't exist because it shouldn't be the last movie in the saga. That's all. That's all. I think it's fine. I think it's fine showing the de- the the fallout of Endgame a little bit. You can, but yeah, they I, don't I, they really don't deal do with it, it that a much. ton. Yeah, yeah, they don't. But I think it's I think they do a decent job of it, especially for a Spider Man movie that's not supposed to be about that. <laughs> right. Right. No, that's true. Um, all right, let's talk about Avengers Endgame. This is a movie that I like more than you do, and I can't quite figure out why. I mean, I okay, you gave me a little teaser of wh- how you feel about Avengers Endgame, and I call, I almost wonder if we don't even have an argument here because I I almost wonder if like the things that what it, what is your main criticism of the movie? Just say it. So so I think that I think that criticism. I I don't hold that anymore. I remember so I remember watching this movie the first time and there was a lot that I was let down by. I st- I still liked the movie a heck of a lot just cuz the highs are so high, but there was a ton that I was let down on upon seeing it a second and now a third time. A lot of the things I was complaining about I don't think are valid complaints anymore and they don't really bother me. So I I I really have come around to this movie and enjoy it a heck of a lot now. But I do think the movie has a decent amount of problems, and I will say most of these are very nitpicky problems that I, I can get over. I just think it's funny to make write them all down. But I do have a few legitimate criticisms in here. Okay. I think you and I are actually going to agree on this more than you think. I, no, I, I, think, I think we will too. I just really want to get to my list of everything I don't like. No, I because I, – because t- because what you your nit I'm looking at your list of nitpicks and I want you to I want you to go through all these because a lot of I these are, are really good okay but I I blame something different for these problems with the movie interesting so go on go go through your list of nitpicks in the movie should, should, we, should we do the nitpicks first yeah let's oh we'll do please the first. please <laughs> we want to end on a high note of course all right. First thing I wrote down is this is another problem that I've mentioned throughout these movies. There's a few bad jokes, few bad lines in here that aren't really funny at all that I wish weren't in there because they lessen the emotional impact of the scene or whatever's going on. Oh, I I, I should disagree with this one. I don't have, I don't have any problems with the joke. I have more problems with jokes in Infinity War than than Endgame. The build a bear. You think that's good? <laughs> It's not it's not it's not great. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's why this is first in the list. It's because that's the first bad joke and I'm like, "All right, that's my first problem with the movie." <laughs> All right, it's, I'm not in love with it, but it's it's fine. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All, right, All right. Captain Marvel feels a little bit wasted. I I like her character a lot in Captain Marvel, like I just said, but she she had like five lines of dialogue but, but in this you, movie. See, this to me is unfair because you 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 know why she's not in the movie. No, I don't. Because they hadn't filmed her. They hadn't filmed her movie yet. This this is her first movie as this is Brie Larson's first movie as Carol Danvers as Captain Marvel. This is this is her first movie, and so mm-hmm. they don't they don't have her character figured out yet. I think even the way she dresses in this movie is different than the way she dresses in her own movie. Right. They haven't totally figured out like who the character is and also she's so powerful as a character that i think if you use her too much she becomes like a deus ex machina yeah and so i I don't think she's wasted i feel like she's used just the right amount because if if you use her too much then 
I mean, I guess you could you could criticize like if you want to be really like logical about the movie is like, well, Scarlet Witch or Captain Marvel should be the ones who kill Thanos because mm-hmm. they're the most powerful people in the MCU. Like if you, but like on a story on a story level, you know why we can't do that. So I think she's used the right amount because she is so powerful and she's also kind of a link to the cosmic MCU. And so she they'd say, well, she's off doing other things. And also thematically, her presence doesn't really work in the movie because this movie is about saying goodbye to the old characters and saying hello to the new characters and and passing the torch and ushering in the new MCU. So you can't use the new characters too much because this movie is about saying goodbye to the old characters. Anyway, please continue. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, I mean, those are all like decent excuses, but it doesn't make me like her character anymore. Like, I think she... She doesn't come off super likable in this movie, even in the lines that she does have, um, which there's like five of them. Um, yeah, I, w- I wish she was there a little bit more. All right. Fair, fair enough. I think she's used the right amount. <laughs> All right. S- Scott Lang's daughter, Ant-Man's daughter, looks 10 years older in this movie. In Ant-Man and the Wash, she's like a nine-year-old. She looks like she's 20 in this movie. Five years have gone by. What the hell kind of oversight is this? All right. This, 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 is, this, really is, this is this is a, this is a, near, a pretty serious nitpick. I kind of agree. <laughs> she, does look, she does look a little – maybe a little too old. But at the same time, I don't know. I can kind of hand wave it away by saying kids do grow pretty fast in that age range. So I'm not going to think too much about it. But you're right. She does look a little more than five years older. <laughs> <laughs> and a lot of these criticisms aren't things that like make me actively dislike the movie. They're just things that are like, what? That seems like a little bit of an oversight. Yeah, that that to, uh, that to me is like I can I can hand wave that away. Is like, oh, yeah, kids, kids, kids grow fast. Like that 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 doesn't that doesn't get in the way. And plus, that scene just, is so good and it's so emotionally really affected. I mean, it's like it's like it's like a wonder of like P- Paul Rudd showing up and like all the acting that he's doing on his face. Like he's going, yeah. He's going from who is this person hugging me? Oh my god, that's my daughter. Oh my god, I've missed five years. Like right. that. Like, and you see it all on his face, and it's a ama- it's an amazing uh, performance from Paul Rudd. So I'm I'm not bothered by that scene at all. <laughs> I th- I think the first time seeing it, I was like, "Is that his daughter? There's no way that's his daughter." <laughs> that's understandable. Next next thing, Hulk transformation happens off screen. He becomes smart Hulk. Um, because he's, he explains in a diner that he was able to strike a balance between the good parts of the Hulk and the good parts of himself. I don't think this is something that I wish was included in the movie because it would have just been way too much. I just think it's sort of a shame that it isn't on screen anywhere. It seems like it'd be a decent miniseries. Just a little disappointing because I know that's a big part of his character arc in the comics. Okay, well, you know this, you know the story behind this. Not exactly. Maybe I don't know. Yeah, he he was supposed to be the Hulk. He was supposed to Hulk out in at the end of Infinity War. Oh, I do know about that. Yeah. Okay, and here here's the other thing I heard, which was interesting, is that after Age of Ultron, Joss Whedon said, "I had this really good idea for a moment with the Hulk, but I could never find a place to use it in the movie. And so, even though I love the idea, I can never find a place for it. And so I had I had to." I, I could never find a place for it. And people ask Joss Whedon, what's the idea? He goes, I don't even want to say. I've given it to Marvel, but I don't want to reveal it because I hope they find a place to use it somewhere else. And then the toys came out for Infinity War. A lot of Marvel stuff gets leaked from toys. And toys came out for Infinity War that show like Hulk busting out of the Hulkbuster armor. Mm-hmm. And so everyone thought, oh, that's the moment Joss Whedon is talking about. Right? 
mm-hmm. of like of this idea of banners in the Hulkbuster suit, and then at the end of Infinity War, like because you know him and Hulk are fighting throughout the movie, and then at the end of Infinity War, Hulk comes out and he busts out of the Hulk Hulkbuster armor, and there he is. like that would be a really cool moment to see. And we know the filmmakers have said that he was supposed to become the Hulk by the end of Infinity War, but they didn't yeah. feel like it fit tonally with how depressing the rest of the movie is. Um, mm-hmm. And I think they even someone even asked the screenwriters or the Russo brothers, like, were you planning to do like the Hulk busting out of the Hulkbuster armor? Were you planning that? And they completely denied it. And I think they're lying, lying through their teeth because I think it's so obvious where it was supposed to happen. I think if you watch yeah. Infinity War, you know the moment where they probably had set it up, but yes, it just yes, didn't work course. tonally in the movie. So they had to cut it. Um, and so – then you get Smart Hulk uh, in Endgame, and I have more to say on this, but do your do your next point first, uh, because then th- these two points about Hulk and your next point go hand in hand for me. Oh, okay, interesting. All right, there there's a point in the movie where five years have gone by, and Rocket and Hulk go to New Asgard to try and recruit Thor for the team that they're building, and this new community that the Asgardians have made is completely unexplained. Valkyrie is there all of a sudden. It's sort of shocking because at the end of Infinity War, you're under the impression that the Asgardians have been destroyed. The only one that survived Thanos blowing up their entire ship is Thor. Um, I don't think I had that impression. And I think listening to interviews with the screenwriters after Infinity War came out and before Endgame, um, that wasn't the intention. I could sort of see how because they don't sh- – that scene is short and they don't show a lot visually of like the room that they're standing in on the ship or whatever. You could mm-hmm. sort of get the impression that like, oh, everyone from Asgard has been killed now. But to, to go to your point about how like, oh, they've set up a new a new place on Earth and it's not explained uh, and also the Hulk transformation. These two things you're complaining about are – your complaints are things happen off screen. Yes. And both of these, both of these things, I think, are fine because you could, I could totally see that. Oh, in five years, things have changed, and mm-hmm. I think, and I think it sort of helps sell the five years later by saying, "Look how much things have changed." Banner and Hulk have worked out their differences. Now we have Smart Hulk. The As- the Asgardians have uh, established a new little village for themselves on Earth. Like, see how things have come along. So I think it helps sell the five years later. Okay, that's true. It's a good point. Um, however, this is the best criticism that I've heard of the MCU. I think this was a Griff Newman point, which is like the comics would do these things like they would have these big team up movies or these big team up comic books and storylines, you know, or and even like, you know, the X-Men would have a, a storyline together of like things. But but then in between that, each character gets their own issues and their own stories in their own series that connect to the main like team-up series that's going on but in the movies they can't do that and they can't have that and so there's certain things that happen in these movies and i think in the same kind of vein as you know oh the whole transformation happens off screen as guardians creating a new village happens off screen the the wanda and visions love story happens 
almost entirely off screen and you kind of just have to like buy it you like they try to set it up enough for you to believe like oh this has been happening in the meantime but we never actually get to see it and i think one of the problems with the idea of like every movie has to be like a big team up movie and every every story that we tell has to be like two hours and this big cinematic event experience one of the problems is like there's certain thing like there's certain smaller stories that you can't you just don't have time for in these movies and i think that's going to be the best thing about disney plus like like that wandavision show should have happened between like civil war and infinity war that's where that show right. should have happened but they didn't mm-hmm. they weren't doing that back then and so i think that is and i think like the the franchise overall has these issues where it's like Things happen off screen or like or like like Tony and Pepper, like they say they break up, then all of a sudden they're back together and like getting engaged. And it's like they do it well enough, but it's like I would have liked to see that. Like, why can't I get another Iron Man movie in between that to show what happens, like to show Tony's arc of going from, you know, she left me to getting her back. Like, I don't know. It's just that to me is like the most that, that to me is is the worst thing about this franchise that that's the biggest problem with this franchise fr- with this franchise is that like <laughs> these french fries the, yeah with these french fries that's that's the worst thing about these french fries is they can't do these like in between smaller stories because there's they're so busy making the, telling these big stories about team ups and all these things and even doing like short films would be interesting. I was I was just about to mention you, when you said two hours ago, it'd be nice if they brought back some of these one shots. The, these would be perfect examples. These would be perfect examples of like give us a one shot, even like 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 I know the one shots are usually like five minutes, but like give us like a twenty or twenty five minute short film of like here's the Wanda and Vision love story, or like here's Hulk figuring himself out, like whatever little things like that like that would be co- like that I think would make this better because I think. Infinity War and Endgame kind of have to do some heavy lifting on – they have to sell the audience on things that they're not actually getting a chance to see. Right. And I I think these movies do it as best as they possibly can, and I think it – which is amazing that it works, but I think it does work. Uh, but I also think it's disappointing that we don't get to see these these details and these smaller stories, these kind of in-between, more character-focused stories that happen – in between the the big the big movies, right, right. I I, I yeah. mean, I I know I I know I said I love this franchise, but I do think that is the, I mean, that is that is the worst thing about this franchise. Yeah, yeah. You make you make a lot of good points there, and I I think I'm not arguing that these should be included in the movie because they'd be worse for it. But it, it yeah, it's just it's just a shame that it doesn't happen. And at least with this Asgardian community example like i feel like it would have just been easy to throw in a line or two about how they managed to get there since i don't think the hulk or rocket have seen them since but that's going back to my original point yeah i i I totally i totally agree with you yeah and then so and so i'm as, as actually thinking about this more um that's actually kind of gotten me a little more excited for for the disney plus stuff because i i'm thinking oh now maybe they can use these disney plus series to tell these in-between stories or even to do Mm -hmm. like short films and put them on disney plus like um i don't know i just i think this would be a way to take a great french fries and make it even make it even better french fries 
Absolutely. And that's what we're trying to do. I, I, that, I love that I accidentally said French fries because I'm going to lean into it now. I love it. Great. I think it's very funny. We got this for the rest of the two hours of this episode. I'm not, I'm not going to say French fries anymore. I'm only going to say French fries. <laughs> See how long we can keep that up. <laughs> okay. But, but going back to Avengers Endgame, this is a very mm-hmm. good movie. And I'm, I'm happy to hear you've kind of come around on it. Oh, yeah. What are some of your other nitpicks? I'm not, I'm not done. I know. I know. We're like you're not halfway done. through my process. I know. I know. <laughs> All right. This next one is something that actually still really bothers me about the movie. It's a scene that I think is really forced. And it's the scene where um, Steve and Tony go back to New York and they've got to get uh, what? Two to, the, they've got to get the Tesseract and the Mind Stone. They're both in Avengers Tower at the same time. And then something happens with the Tesseract. Uh, Loki gets it, and they have to go back in time again to get the Tesseract from another place. And in order to get the the quantum juice to <laughs> the pin go back particles. to where they were, yeah, yeah, they have to get the pin particles to go back to twenty twenty three, twenty twenty four, whatever year twenty three. The only reason this scene happens is because hulk takes the stairs i know it's so funny to me it's so funny that like like that like they don't let him take the elevator they make him take the stairs (laughs) to me that's to me that's funny and and it's also kind of funny that like their their uh end game plan from 2023 is being undone by the way they treated hulk back in 2012 i think that's funny i like it i I, I like it i think I, i think it's so funny the way he just smashes through the door like tony goes flying across the floor i think i think it's funny i think it's very funny and like having hulk complain about the stairs like to me the whole bit is it makes me laugh and so i'm like i'm not complaining about it like i I like i don't i don't hate the bit it just it's a really convoluted way to get them to go back in time and create this create another conflict and it's it's just a really roundabout way of forcing this character development of Steve seeing um, Haley Atwell again and Tony seeing his father. And not that those scenes are particularly bad. Like, I, I think they're, they're great, nice great to have moments. in there, but but they do feel very forced to me. And then the fact that they're they're back in the 1970s, too, and now there's people on to them trying to catch them while they're there. It's just it's just a little bit of too much going on at once. Like now there's like conflicts within conflicts within conflicts. And I'm just like, all right, can we can we get back to the original story? No, I, this I, is you're, I com- don't you're like completely it. wrong about this. The the him dropping the tesseract and Loki stealing it is fun because it's it's like it's that's what would happen. And then them going back to the seventies is fun because it's like it, it's it's a it's the first time sort of is it is the first time where it's just Tony and Cap on a mission together. I like the, I like the pairing of the two of them. I like them together. Mm-hmm. And the whole thing of like, oh, there's people who are onto them. They don't play it up that much. It's like, it's like a couple of shots of people kind of looking around suspiciously at them. It's not, and it's not like it's hard for them to avoid being caught. Like, it's not like it's, it's not, a, it's really not a huge plot point that they they just have to have somebody who's like a little bit suspicious to kind of keep them moving, kind of keep them on their toes and to get them out of there quickly. But it, I don't know. You're you're acting like it's some huge digression. I really don't think it is. I think it's, I think it's, and I think it leads to such a nice moment of uh, Tony and his father. Like he gets to he, Tony as a father gets to talk to his father before he's a father. Like it's that's so, and it gives him like emotional resolution. Like it's such a good moment. 
I know you're not arguing against that scene, but like just in general, I don't I don't think that scene is nearly as bad as you think it is. And I like I like Tony and Cap on a mission together. So I think I think you're totally wrong on that one. I think it's fun. <laughs> All right, I I just wish they had a a better reason to be there in the first place. That that would help make me like it more. I think it's funny, and I and I, I and I think it's clever that they realize they realize oh Hank Pym and the Tesseract and Howard Stark are all in the same place at the same time and they can use that. I think it's I think it's clever. I think it's very clever that they think of that and are able to go there. It is well done. Yeah. Because yeah, that's that's the thing about this universe is like Hank Pym exists, so does Howard Stark that we know the Tesseract was property of Shield. You know, it's at the place where Captain America was born, quote unquote. Like all these things kind of are coming together and it's like, "Oh, there's actually a a point in time that we've never actually seen on screen before." But these are all happening at the same time. Why don't we go there? Why don't we see that? Why don't we see what S.H.I.E.L.D. was like in the 70s on this base where all this stuff was going on, where all these great minds are working together? Let's go see that base. Like, I think that's so cool. I don't know how you can argue against that. <laughs> but whatever. Um, all right. We digress. Your, next, your next, next point. I don't even know where we are. Oh. So I, th- I think I'm going to skip to the next, next point and then circle back. So – I don't think the time travel is great in this movie. I think it's sort of shaky. I don't walk out of the movie completely understanding. I have to watch it again and have to have people explain it to me and explain it to each other about what exactly is going on with the time travel. I don't understand fully what's real and what isn't anymore. Did Guardians of the Galaxy 2014 even happen since Thanos went forward in time? There's two caps in the timeline, so Captain America's hiding in secret throughout the entire MCU. It's it's really convoluted. I It's... It just doesn't work that well. There's like three separate scenes where they have to explain it. And I think think it's it's two. Going back to my original point here, the fundamentals of the movie's uh, time travel rules depend on how the Loki TV show goes, which is a point that I originally thought of because you made. Like the only way the Loki TV show works is if it ends up with him being caught by Thor. And they go back up to Asgard. That's the only way that the time travel holds true. Okay, no, it's not. Because, okay, because, okay, so I've thought about this a lot more since. And what I thought they were doing originally was the idea that there's only a single timeline. And because that, that's that's one of the possible ways that I think time travel could work. Again, it's all fictional mm-hmm. and doesn't matter. None of this is real anyway. But if you want to get into how time travel works... One of the possible ways that time travel could work is the idea that because because the the thing the thing they hammer on about in Endgame is changing the past doesn't change the future. They really hammer that on. They need you to know that nothing we do in the past is going to change anything about our present, right? Mm -hmm. That's the and I think I think there's two different theories of time travel you could use to get to that conclusion. Um. And I think the screenwriters don't agree with the directors on which theory of time travel they're using, which is why they disagree about – like if you ask them each – like they don't agree. But like I think to the movie's credit, they don't explain the time travel in extreme detail. And the, they they get the basic point across of nothing we do matters because it's not going to change anything that happens. Like it, like changing the past doesn't change the future. I think they, they say that enough times they, and they say – you know they say outright back to the future is bullshit. Like – and I think I think 
That is all you need to know to understand the time travel in this movie. Now, the, as far as the details of how the time travel works, every time they go to back in time, they're going to a different timeline or they're going to like an alternate reality. So that's why nothing they do matters is because they're going back to a different universe or an alternate reality or a, or a parallel timeline. And then they're messing things up and they're changing things. And then when they go back, they're going back to their original timeline. I was never under that impression because <laughs> I don't think because I think they're trying to th- this is I think a flaw of the way the, the way the movie explains time travel is that I think they're trying to kind of have it both ways where they're like the realistic way time travel works is that there's only one timeline and therefore it, you know if there's only one timeline that means that the way things are today is because you went to the past and changed a bunch of stuff and that's why so even if you go to the past and change stuff, it doesn't change the, the present because the present is the way it is because you change stuff when you went to the past. That's, I think, a very realistic way of the way time travel would actually work. But the way time travel actually works in this movie, and I think they're trying to explain it like that's the way it is. But the way time travel actually works in this movie is that they go to different timelines, but they're sort of anchored to their original timeline. And I, I think, again, I, I think we're only spending a lot of time thinking about this because we're a little bit nerdy and we want the details on how the time travel works. But I think that, I think that's what's happening. And if you, if you watch agents of shield, the, the, the series finale of agents of shield clearly explains you can use the quantum realm to go to different timelines. And that's what they're doing. Oh yeah. Agents of shield helps. It make sense. Agents of shield that aired a couple of weeks ago. Yes. That episode (laughs) does help. It make sense. All right. All right. But, but yeah, Um, so so that's what's happening. I, 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 that's that's I I would agree with you that maybe if you're trying to think about the logistics of the theory of time travel, you can get frustrated and it, it can be confusing. But I think most audiences are not thinking about that, and all they all most people need to know is changing the past doesn't change the future. Right. Well, I don't know. I just, I just wish it made a little bit more sense. Where cause I, I'll compare it to a movie I just watched, Prisoner of Azkaban, like. I think the time travel works really well in that movie. I don't, I don't even have to think twice about it because well, that, I understand what's yes, going on. Yes, and that movie is an example of there's only one timeline. And the reason things are the way they are today is because of the things they did in the past. That's why Harry gets hit in the back of the head with a rock you know, mm-hmm. the first time around. And then he realizes, oh, I got hit in the back of the head with a rock because I threw the rock. Right? That's an, that's an right. example of a different theory of time travel. And I think Avengers Endgame is using a different idea of time travel which is different from Azkaban and different from Back to the Future. And I think that's a little bit why it's confusing is because it's not doing the thing that we kind of expect from typical time travel movies. Yeah, and they do a somewhat good job of explaining it. But Yes, and that being said, um, that's why, if I made this point, I take it back. The, the Loki show has no effect on on what happens in the, in the Marvel Universe because Loki stole the Tesseract and, and escaped in a different timeline. Fair enough. I've never heard this before. <laughs> really? I've I've never heard this about the parallel universes. I was I've always been under the impression that they're in the same timeline. But they're not like that. The it, 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 you're right. It literally doesn't work any other way. Because like, because if if it's all one unified timeline, then Thanos was never in the Guardians of the Galaxy movie in 2014 because they went back in, like because they went back in time. But if you but if you say, oh, every time they go back in time, they're going to an alternate timeline or maybe even the time travel creates an alternate timeline because they're changing stuff. Um, 
then that makes it make more sense where there is a timeline where Thanos is just gone from the 2014 Guardians of the Galaxy movie. But mm-hmm. in our timeline, our main timeline that we follow, he was there the whole time. Cool? I, no. I, I knew this would diverge into, into me explaining time travel to you. <laughs> I, I honestly prefer the explanation that Guardians of the Galaxy didn't happen anymore than it's in a different reality. But if Guardians of the Galaxy didn't happen anymore, then, then Peter Quill should no longer be in love with Gamora because then, then he never met her. Well, so what, what I'm okay with is that that movie didn't happen. Like those events didn't occur anymore, but it, it still happened to the characters that exist today there. And they, they still have those memories even though it didn't happen. Well, then how would, but then how would they have memories of things that didn't happen? <laughs> I don't know. I, 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 we should, we should really move on before we get to in the weeds here. I mean, we're, we're already there. Yeah. No, but I know. I, I just, I've just never really heard this before about they're in a different timeline. Cause Bruce Banner says, like, if we don't put the stone back, stones back, we're going to open up a bunch of nasty re- alternate realities from the alternate reality that they're already in. <laughs> All right. I think it's time to move on. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I just proved my point. <laughs> All right, fair enough. I mean, I mean, look. I mean, the way I look at it is, I watch Doctor Who. I don't need my time travel to make sense. Like Doctor Who does all different kinds of time travel, and it's never bothered me because it's not about the time travel logistics. Because time travel is fictional, and it's more about how can we use time travel to tell the story that we want to tell, and that's really what matters. I mean. Yeah. It, it, I know I know. Doctor Who did an episode where, like, they go to the past and change a bunch of stuff while they're talking to, like, some old guy. And while they're changing stuff in the past and talking to the old guy, he's like, oh, wait, that never happened. Oh, but it did. New memories are forming in my head because now you're changing stuff. So now I have new memories because that stuff now happened. And, like, th- that gets into what you were saying of, like, oh, did the memories change if they changed the past? But how – like, y- y- it gets – it gets really nutty, and and I am fine with it because I just go with look. It's alternate timelines. That's why nothing they do really matters. They can mess up as much as they want; and doesn't affect anything. They still mm-hmm. go back to their original timeline for the third act, and it's more about the emotional uh, scenes that we get with the characters and the emotional resolutions we get with the characters. That's the most important part. Yes, of course, of course. And right. I agree that I agree that okay. T- let's get to the rest of your points real quick. Just unbelievable. I, I think the the rest <laughs> the rest of these are all going to be really quick. All right. There's no vision, no Jarvis in this movie. I think it's kind of a shame that like they they forced so much into this movie. They couldn't force Vision or Jarvis in here to get Paul Bettany a credit. I would have loved <laughs> to have seen his name come across in the credits. I I just think it's a shame. Not much to Is say. Is he not in the credits? That. No, he's not. Oh. Weird. He's been there since 08. He's not in the credits. <laughs> I feel bad for him. Which, by the way, that's an amazing stroke of genius is to take Paul Bettany as Jarvis and then turn him into Vision. That's brilliant. Oh, it's fantastic. I mean, I would have loved to see Joss Whedon's face when he realized, like, oh, my God, I could do this. Like, right. Because right. Ultron in the comics is from Hank Pym. But when you make Ultron based on Tony Stark, you can use it. You can make it based on vision. Like the vision can mm-hmm. be based on Jarvis. Brilliant, absolutely brilliant. Uh, uh, and I and I like the I like the vision a lot. And I, I've yeah, heard people. I'm I'm surprised you're complaining about this, but not complaining about how he's basically not in Infinity War because he's having surgery done the whole time. Like, I don't know. I think if you're a fan of <laughs> if you're a fan of Vision, you should be annoyed that he's not in Infinity War more. 
<laughs> I I think his scene with Scarlet Witch in Scotland is just really good. So I I, I get enough vision there. Well, that is a, that is a very good scene. And again, it's yeah. like we don't see their love story a lot. But they, they kind of set it up and you're told to believe it and the actors do a good job of selling it. And then by the end of the of Infinity War, you believe, oh, these people are really in love and this is really painful for her to kill him. Cause they're, I don't they, even know who you are. And that's a great line. That's a great, that's a yes. great line from Thanos. I don't even know who you are. Thanos, Thanos is like, I'm not caught up on these movies. <laughs> I, haven't, I haven't watched the first 20 movies. <laughs> I am so lost. I've I've seen through Captain America: The Winter Soldier. I, I, I'm so lost. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Someone explain me. Oh, and then you have other characters you're complaining about. Yes, Hawkeye, Gamora, and Nebula aren't there for the big grand Avengers Assemble scene. Why aren't they there? I think it's Couldn't fair. I think it. I mean, I get it because they're they're watching after the stones. <laughs> Howard the Duck is there. Well, that well, he's more important than Gamora. So, yeah, no, I'm nice. no, I'm kidding. I mean. I'm kidding. No, I I think I think that's I think that's a that's a a minor annoyance. That like, oh yeah, it would be nice if they were there, yeah, but also I get nitpick. that they're I get that they're underground and, they, and, and but but I I take I take your point. All right, you see the last bullet on here. This could could be a controversial one. Um, the scene where Captain Marvel picks up the Infinity Gauntlet and um, Peter Parker's like, I don't know how you're going to get through there, and all the women in the entire universe are in the exact same spot. Don't worry, she needs help, and it's the big, grand girl power scene. I don't like it. If I, And I've heard, I've heard other people complain about this, too. If, if you want to make a progressive movie where the women have a good thing, like, are doing what they should be doing, they're fighting alongside the men, and it's not a big deal. I think they do a really good job of that in Black Panther, better, better than they do in this movie, and I I just wish that's how it was handled instead. Uh, I I think that's silly. I'm not I'm not bothered by the scene. I think it's I think it's fine. I you know it's we have a scene where the where the three main guys in the MCU team up against Thanos. I don't see why you can't have a group of of women to do it. And 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 also I think there's I I think part of it is like the Marvel has been criticized for not having like female superheroes get their own movie and stuff. And I think this scene kind of shows it's like, yeah, not a lot of these women have got their own movie, but look how many great like badass women are in this universe that you like. And we're going to put them all together and this is fun. Like that's kind of how I read it, you know? So I don't know. I'm not, I'm not bothered by that. It doesn't bother me a ton. It just comes off a little bit forced. Like, all right, we have to include this in here, but it's, I'm not losing any sleep over it. Well, I All mean, right. I think I think it's a great movie. I mean, that's everything I don't like about this movie, which is a lot of a lot of it is a little bit silly. And um, yeah, the, again, the most the most fair criticisms are like the stuff that happens off screen that we don't get to see. And I and I don't think it's a problem with the movie. I think it's a problem with the MCU and how they set it up, and which I hope changes. I think it will. We'll see. See what happens. What do we, what do we want? To do, what do we want to do next? <laughs> we haven't said anything good about Infinity or about Endgame. It is it is extraordinary. It's a great movie. It's like okay, go go. Okay, all right. L- let me let me just you know what? Let me just pull up the movie on my computer and I'll just we'll just walk through it scene by scene. Let's do it. So okay, so the movie opens. It oh god, it opens with the Hawkeye. This is so good. So okay, that's a great scene. It's a it's a great scene, which was supposed to be at the end of Infinity War. They were going to have Thanos snap, and then they were going to cut to Hawkeye, and they were like, "This doesn't feel right." So they that's so much better in this movie. It, yeah, it last it lasted one edit, and then the Russo brothers were like, "Let's put it at, let's put it at the top of at the top of Endgame," right? And then 
it, and it's, I don't know, it's like a lot of these, I think a lot of Endgame doesn't feel like a traditional Marvel movie, and it's my favorite thing about it. Like, if you watch this first, like, ten minutes, it's, the, the word that you used when you were describing Endgame to me a few weeks ago, the word you used was boring. <laughs> and, like, I th- And I take that back. Because the, the first hour of the movie is so slow. In the, in the sense that it takes its time. It's not slow in a bad way. It's slow in the sense that we need you to understand how traumatic this is, what these characters have gone through. And this is real. I love stories about trauma. Like, I love, I love The Leftovers. I love The Watchmen show. I love Avengers Endgame. Like, the fir- and the first hour of this movie is all about trauma. And, and how they deal with it and they're suffering and they're miserable. And like, like the first scene is like with Hawkeye, it's like, I don't know. I, I, I saw it and I'm like, oh my God, this is like a real movie. Like, this is not like a franchise movie. This is like a real movie. And, and the, the scene went with Tony and Nebula in space and Tony's dying and he's falling apart and he's like sitting in the chair and he can barely breathe. And it's like, and they're holding on shots so long. Like this shot of him sitting in the chair before Captain Marvel shows up. Like it, they hold on it so long and the light takes so long to show up. It's like they are they are letting you just sit in in this in this traumatic experience, this this horrible world that they're now living in. They just want you to sit in this it, they want you to feel the hopelessness and and the suffering and they want you to feel it. And I love I love it so much. It's like this is not I think, like, I think if you asked me, like, what is Endgame going to be before I saw it, I would have said, oh, it's going to be kind of like Infinity War only with just the people who are left. It's going to be like, we got to go fight Thanos. It's going to be like this badass movie. It's going to be like an action adventure movie, kind of like Infinity yeah. War. That's exactly. what it's going to be. And it and it's like from the get-go, it's not, right? And it's it, it's so sad and they, because they need you to really feel it. And, like, I just I just love it. And then I love... I love how they set up that we're let, that they're going to go kill Thanos. Like let let's go get this son of a bitch. It's so good because there's there cuz now now they're setting you up for oh this is going to be the movie. It, you're sitting there like, "Oh, I know what this movie is. This is going to be the revenge story." Right? This is going right. to be the this is going to be the Thanos revenge story. And they're going and they're going to and okay, now okay, you know, 12 minutes in or 13 whatever it is, 15 minutes in, let's go get this son of a bitch. And you're like, okay, I know where this is going. I know what this movie is. And then they get there and they – I'm sorry. Do you want to say something? I love this. <laughs> well, I, I think something that you haven't hit on yet that um, that is really important is that everyone, everyone sort of plotted out this movie after Infinity War, which was that they're going to go back and kill Thanos. They're going to get the time stone and they're going to reverse time and everyone will be back. And that's how they bring everybody back. Right. They, like everyone knew that was going to happen. Right. <laughs> and so they had to come up with a way to completely blow up our expectations. And they do it in exactly 20 minutes where they go and kill Thanos. And then five years go by. Like no one ever expected. It's, expect, it's like, so brilliant. If, it's like I remember sitting. If in you the- asked what timestamp they're going to kill Thanos at, I would have said like, oh, two thirty, right? Two hours thirty, two forty, maybe. No, it's at the twenty minute mark. It's it's which, not even Matt. It's nineteen minutes in. It's yeah, unbelievable. Which, which just which makes you sit there and wonder, like, what the hell is the next two hours and forty minutes going to be exactly. about? Exactly. It's like 
it, they cut off his arm. They reveal the stones are gone. And then Thanos, I mean, uh, Thor goes for the head, right? Like, w- which is such a sad line. And it's like, and here's what I love about them killing Thanos. Uh, first of all, we should say, like, the idea was from Trin Tran, the executive producer on the movie. She, she was getting frustrated with, they're trying to break the story of the movie. And she was getting frustrated of like, I oh got, he's such a, like a powerful villain. I wish we could just kill him. And they went, wait a second could we and that's how they came up with it it's like it started as like a joke out of frustration and from one of the executive producers and and they ran with it and it's so good because when like as soon as they cut off his arm you're i was sitting in the theater like why is the movie going this fast why is it advancing at this speed this like this is this is not right this is wrong you know and then of course he's he starts monologuing i love that thanos cuts off his head when he starts like monologue monologuing because it's like we're so we're so fucking tired of this asshole like philosophizing i'm just i'm kind of i'm going to cut off his fucking head like yeah. i think it's so funny it's but it's not funny like it's funny when he does it like while thanos is talking that to me is kind of funny but i love that they kill him and it first of all it makes sense because thanos is committed to his goal and once he's achieved his goal he doesn't care if he lives or dies because he's already right. won. I've heard people complain. Oh, I don't like that they don't that the the Thanos they fight at the end isn't even the th- same Thanos because it couldn't be. He would be fine with dying because he already won, right? right. So they have to. So they kill him early, and after he cut off his head and Thor walks away, it, I'm left with this feel. I remember leaving the, being in the theater and thinking, what What is this movie? What is this? And, exactly. And you and you have this feeling of like I have no idea what's going to happen. And isn't that the greatest feeling? Like like I remember before Captain Marvel came out, I was talking with a friend of mine and I was like, "Oh yeah, I'm curious to see what, what's going to happen." And he was like, "Really, Tyler? You're curious what's going to happen? She's going to be down on her luck and she's going to have to work out herself and she's going to figure out figure out who she is and she's going to overpower the bad guy and win. It's going to be the typical hero." Like, you know what I mean? And he was kind of making a joke right. about how a lot of these Marvel movies and superhero movies are kind of predictable in their format and their structure and everything. And he was kind of making a joke about it. And now I'm sitting here in Avengers Endgame, and it's like I have no idea what this is. And 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 for, for to feel that in a big budget franchise superhero movie, to feel like I genuinely have no idea what's going what's going on or what's going to happen, it was the most amazing feeling. And I love that. And then and then they just sit in it. They do the five years later, which is unfucking believable. I remember mm-hmm. being in the theater. It's like the word five was on screen for a year. It was like I. It was like yeah. I spent a year just looking at the word five and wondering what is the next word going to be. And then it's years, and it's like whole. It was. I mean, it was audible gasps in the theater. Oh yeah. It, oh yeah. It was unbelievable. And then. And then they, and then it's just depressing. It's just, it's like another ten or twenty minutes of just people being sad and like dealing with it. And it's like, I mean, every scene is still advancing the plot. Like the 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 support group theme uh, scene, we we get the we get the little hint that Steve can't move on. He's still thinking about Peggy, so that's that's important. That's setting up that for later. Then you know, then we get Paul Rudd and. Mm-hmm. It's advancing the plot because it's showing, you know, oh, he actually never got snapped. And I love it they use Paul Rudd in this as like he's the guy who still knew at this. Whereas for, if it if it, if they they advance time only by a year or two or only like by six months, right? It would have you, you would imagine that oh well they're still trying to figure out how to how to fix this how to undo this. But five years later, everyone's like given up. This is just the reality we live in now. There's nothing we can do. 
This is just the way the, this is just the way the world is. But not but not Paul Rudd. All right. I, I, I want to dispel a common criticism of this movie, one that would have been very easy for me to include, but I think is stupid, is that the reason this movie happens is because a rat walks across like the control board in Paul Rudd's van mm-hmm. and that's how he gets out. <laughs> it's been five years later. That's allowed to happen. <laughs> if it happened a week after you could you could argue like all right that's that's a little bit lucky it's it's been five years in this worn down like storage unit basically i'm i'm okay with it shut up (laughs) i i i agree i heard i heard a theory this was originally supposed to be a cat did you hear this theory no someone was asking the question like to like i think someone asked the writers of like ant-man and the wasp or the director like someone asked them like how much does marvel tell you about like what the upcoming movie is going to be and they were like, oh, they barely tell us anything. In fact, early on, Kevin Feige came to us and they were like, and, and Kevin Feige said to us, you have to set up that Hope has a cat. And they were like, what? <laughs> he was like, I can't tell you why. You have to set up the fact that Hope Van Dyne in Ant-Man the Lost, she has a cat. This is so important. You have to have this in there. And they were like, That's uh, unbelievable. Oh, okay. And he's like, but I can't tell you why. And then like a month later, they had another meeting with him. And he's like, oh, by the way, forget that whole cat thing. That it doesn't, doesn't matter anymore. And they were, <laughs> and they were like, what? So do we keep the cat? And he was like, yeah, if you want, I don't, I don't care. It doesn't, it doesn't matter at all anymore. <laughs> that is unbelievable. I can't believe that. And happened. so someone had the theory that like, maybe it was the, maybe it was Hope's cat was supposed to walk across that control panel. I don't <laughs> That's funny, but but no, I I that's a really good point. I agree with you. If it was a, like a week later that the, that the rat walked across, yeah, you're right. But five years it is how long it takes for a rat to stumble across the right button, <laughs> mm-hmm. right? Yeah, no, it's it's really good. And the scene, and the scene where they show the monuments to like all the names of the snapped. Oh yeah, because mm-hmm. that's what we would the do. The vanish. That's what we would do. And then you get the scene of Natasha on the wall. You get the scene of Tony's kid. We see how Natasha on the wall. Yeah, she's she's like she's like the woman on the wall. She's like still waging a war. She's like still fighting. She's still doing this. Like she's oh oh that's yeah. that's what I mean by that. I think the Russo brothers said said like not Natasha on the wall is what they called that scene or something. Because hmm. um, she's like yeah, still she's still fighting and like that's a great scene and, and you know and then. Paul Rudd has to do all that exposition of like of all the time travel stuff and it, it's so and it but he sells it because he's Paul Rudd and he's so good at it and then we see Tony and we see Banner and it's like the snap kind of worked out for them like Banner got his his shit figured out Tony's has settled down he's got a family he's got a kid like it shows that like the snap sucked for a lot of people but for some people it worked out like and look at smart Hulk like this is this is such a weird movie. I'm 38 minutes in, and uh, I'm Ant Man. You want to take a picture with me? <laughs> take the goddamn phone. <laughs> and then, like, and then I love the scene when Tony invents time travel by accident, kind of. Mm-hmm. And then we get the and we get the I love you 3000. And then the scene where he has to tell Pepper, because it's almost like you can see on his face. And what what was your point about how this is his best movie? Oh, I I. <laughs> That's not what I said. I think he looks really good in this movie. He does look really good in this movie. I I think his hair looks way better than it does in (laughs) Infinity War. I think the, like, gray in the beard and the hair really works on him. He's got really good glasses in this movie. The sunglasses are really cool. Uh, He's just a good-looking guy. Absolutely. And we should probably mention that, like, the the, the Marvel Cinematic Universe is just – is one of the ongoing story uh, plot lines in this this universe is – 
Downey wearing less and less clothes, like, and wearing less and less of the suit, and just getting lazier and lazier about the setup. Right, right. <laughs> like, by Avengers, he's wearing like, his black Sabbath shirt. It's like, whatever. But, like, when you can see on his face that he's like, do I tell Pepper that I just invented time travel? Because if I tell her, then I have to do it. Right. And then and then Pepper, and then he says, like, I could throw it away. I could pretend I could pretend I never saw this. And she says, like, but would you be able to rest? Like, this is what the this is what a hero does. I'm 45 minutes into the movie. This is this is the, the Scott Lang time. Tra- they're pushing time through Lang. And then and then yep. Tony shows up. This is so good. Look how long it takes for anything to happen in this movie. They're taking their time. This is a real movie. This is not like a franchise like. Like all the stuff that would normally get uh, would that would normally be on the cutting room floor of a major blockbuster franchise superhero movie, all the stuff that would normally be cut is in this movie, and it's better for it. Mm-hmm. Look at Hulk. Look at him in the back of the truck, and, and his and his knees are up. They did they did not have to show Hulk getting out of the truck, and the truck goes back to being level again because he's so. Ha- they didn't have to show that, but they do. Thor is so great in this movie. Because he's fat, and it's like this is how he would respond. This is like we get to see how they all re, and then and then they do the whole setup for the second hour of the movie. This the whole first of all, there's the whole scene where them figuring out, like just laying around, figuring out how to, where to go and how to where devise this plant, are. figuring out where the stones are. I love this scene. It's just them laying. They're literally laying on the floor, laying on tables, talking things out. I love this. This is what we don't normally get to see. And then we get the time heist, which I loved. First of all, I love any movie that has time travel. I love I love a good heist movie. And then this whole second hour of the movie is we're just going to have fun. I don't see how people say this movie has a bad structure to it. It's perfectly structured. The first hour is about trauma, and the whole second hour is just a love letter to the MCU. It's like a reminder of, like, you know you love these characters. Like, look at this. Look how much fun this is. You love this. This universe is big, but you love it. Look how much fun we're having. And the whole second hour is we're just going to have fun, and we're going to revisit ourselves. And they, I mean, they get to redo the avengers movie they retroactively make thor the dark world kind of important i mean this is this <laughs> How is, brilliant is that? i mean and the whole thing with nebula and like there's two nebulas on the same like wi-fi or whatever like it, i think it, i think it's very clever like and like th- this is the, this is the kind of shit you can do with serialized franchise storytelling that no other movie is able to do because if if this was just a standalone movie and you invented a woman with a half robot brain and then said oh it's because of her robot brain that they get caught it's like it would be like oh well you just put that robot woman in the movie so you could do that scene but this is no this is we we already have a robot woman her, we already know her brain is is a is a computer and and we're going to use that. This is brilliant. This is a ama- it's like they're they're they have found this is this is why we love these movies is they're finding ways to reuse characters that already exist in new and interesting ways and doing different things with them. And it's like this th- this movie can do what no other movie can do. Because because everything has been set up already and they're just finding new ways to riff on it. And you can't do that in any other movie. This is what's great about this franchise. I, th- I think one thing that you haven't touched on yet that's an example of this is how Tilda Swinton shows up in this movie. Yes, you can bring it's, back. It's, you can bring her back. It to- and it's not forced at all. It totally makes sense of why she would be there sense. and You're why she wouldn't give early. the stone away. Right, because she she believes in Doctor Strange. Strange was meant to be the best of us. 
And so the fact that he would just give it away, this is you can you can bring back dead characters, and she could never see past her own death because she dies in Doctor Strange, so she could never see that Thanos happens at all, and she could never see Doctor Strange making this prediction and giving the stone away. But she believes in him. This see it makes sense. It makes sense chronologically because she dies before this happens. This is this is amazing. You can't do this in a normal movie. This is a this is this is brilliant. And this is the kind of shit that everyone wishes they could do and nobody can, but Marvel's pulling it off. It, it works. It works logically. It works thematically. It works in just in the way of like, we're having fun. You love these movies. You love these characters. We're, th- this movie is a love letter to the MCU. That's what that whole second hour is about. And then they come back, they reenact that shot from Captain America, the first Avenger, when Tony's dad is putting the things in the, in the whatever, and Tony's putting the stones in his own gauntlet, and they reenact that whole scene, but they don't shout it out, but it's very subtle. And then, and then, like, they barely get any time back after, after Hulk does his snap, and they're already under attack, and they, and then, they get out from underneath the rubble. Nebula kills herself. She literally is killing the past version of herself. That's amazing. It's it's like it works because ne- past Nebula is bad, but also it's like this is this is character development. She's letting go of who she used to be, and she's someone else now. That's so cool. You can't do that in a in a non like sci fi type movie. Then we get the three biggest characters in the MCU. We get we get Captain America, we get Tony Stark, and we get Thor. And the three of them go up against Thanos by themselves. And it, this it, it is like it is a such a small scale fight scene, sort of reminiscent of Civil War. Where where it's like it's not a big fight scene it's just it's just small scale it's just a few characters fighting we get this we get captain america wielding thor's hammer which was set up in age of ultron and they finally pay it off there's so many payoffs in this movie that you could never do in any other franchise this is this is the only way you could do this it's a, and it's 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 the most like rousing crowd pleasing moment because this is what we've been waiting for and and of course cap knows how to use it because of course he does he's seen thor do it this is a, this is incredible and then it is is captain america standing alone and we get to hear on your left which is a throwback to the winter soldier we've been hearing it since, ever since 2014 and then all these portals open up and we get the ent- an entire universe once and for all and this is what we get and it's and you and you know every single character that's on screen and you know the backstory of all of them and you care about all of them and you love all of them and now they're just going to kick ass and it's 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 the greatest it's the greatest fight scene in any superhero movie this is it this is it right here you can't do better than this it's amazing it's absolutely amazing and then and then captain marvel shows up and then i love that doctor strange is like you know if i tell you what happens it won't happen and then tony and then he looks at tony again later and he's like tony this is the one thing and it's like you have to you have to because tony's not going to do it unless he knows this is the only way this is the only way to protect his family this is the only way to protect the avengers to stop thanos he's got a snap and then this is this is what i this is what i love this is what i loved about logan is like logan gave him a, a they gave logan a heroic death they give tony the the most heroic death of all this is amazing this is incredible and then they get the funeral shot where literally every person is standing there they actually did it it's not composited it's not vfx they actually got all these people to stand there and they the camera visually walks you through the entire 
entire Marvel Cinematic Universe, and it ends with Nicholas J. Fury, where who, the guy who was at the end of Iron Man, who put the whole Avengers together, it end, that shot ends with him. We get the cheeseburgers from Tony's daughter. We get the Asgardians of the Galaxy. And then Cap goes back, and he gets a life, because that's what this, that, those are our two protagonists. Captain America and Tony Stark are our two protagonists. And that's, this is what Marcus and McFeely and the Russo brothers hit on that is so brilliant, that in order for these people, for these two characters to be complete— Steve needs to get a life and Tony needs to lose his. And that's what they do in this movie. And they end it with with Steve Rogers as old and then and then they do the flashback to Peggy Carter and this movie ends with the greatest thing that you can ever put in a movie which is people kissing. I love people kissing in movies and that's how this movie ends and then we get the we get the end credits which is like a it's like a curtain call for the entire MCU and it's like every single character who's ever been in a movie is listed in these credits. It's everyone who's in this movie, it's everyone who's in the universe and then we get the Star Trek credits with the, with their signatures and their names and Robert Downey Jr. and Main on end and the, and the music and the crowd goes wild and then and it's just curtain call and i mean by the end by the end of the movie they're playing the hits they're giving it this is this is incredible how are you not loving this how is this not the greatest movie of all time how is this not the greatest superhero movie ever made this is incredible <laughs> i thought about interrupting you a time or two there but i was i'm just gonna let him go i'm just gonna let him keep going how do you not love this movie i don't know how you can nitpick anything about this it's, it's fantastic there's plenty to nitpick, but I but I do love the movie. I do think it's fantastic. I've never cried harder in a movie than on your left and Portal showing up. Exactly. That was, that was ten years worth of payoffs all in one single moment. It's absolutely incredible. It's, I it's, totally agree. It is, it, is, it is it is ten it is eleven years of payoffs over twenty two movies at that point. Like all coming together and this is this is incredible. I mean, this is oh my god, it's just this is so good. And it, and 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 the best thing about it is that it's an ending. I I got bitched earlier about how these movies never actually have an ending, and and like, and how they they always have, they always have had to set up the next movie, and they can never really end because there's always another one coming. This movie has finality to it. Stories don't matter unless there is an ending. This movie has an ending. That's the greatest thing about this third act is that it actually gives an ending to the most important, the two most important characters. Okay, and I'm telling you this right now. If if Robert Downey Jr. ever plays Tony Stark again in any other movie, I will never watch another movie from this franchise. I will be so angry because this is it. This is the ending. This is what I want. I like I this. This is oh my god. This is what the comics are never forced to do. This is the the, the, the comics. It's like it. We can always draw them again. We can always bring them back from the dead. This is this is the flaw of comics is that they never end. But in movies, the actors get old. The the actors decide they don't want to do this anymore, and the movies can actually have an ending to it. The the most exciting thing about the, about this franchise is that it's real people, and you can't keep recasting people. I hope they never recast these people. I hope they never recast Tony Stark because the most the most extreme thing that a superhero movie could do is actually have an ending, which the comics never do. And I I just. That to me is what's exciting about this about this franchise going forward is that there there can there are endings. They take a long time to get there, but they're there because eventually the actors get sick of it, and that is that is a that is a new thing. I think. I, I'm sorry, I'm ranting at this point. <laughs> no, it's good. This is, these are great rants. But this is but this is what I, I mean. This is, again again like this is what I liked about Logan. 
was that it gives him it gives him a real ending and it and it's a heroic death like that's that's why originally I had said I hope Iron Man survives Endgame so that he gets another movie where they kill him because I wanted him to have his own kind of movie where he gets a really good death but they did it in this movie and it works but like I don't know I just I just think that the 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 problem with normal superhero stories and and comic book stories is that they never end but in live action they have to end because the people get sick of it I I don't know how else to say it than that but that that to me is the most interesting thing about this experiment about this grand experiment that they were able to pull off somehow it's amazing we even got to the avengers it's absolutely incredible it's amazing no one died while making the movie you know what i mean <laughs> right right like totally it's in- it's incredible it's i mean i mean like star wars had carrie fisher die before they could give her her own movie and they had to work around it and it was awkward and not that good and like they did the best they could but it still isn't great it's still not very good and like it's it's amazing no one died honestly it's kind of amazing there's not been like some kind of major like sexual assault allegation with like one of the, any of the major actors you know what i mean yeah yeah we got so lucky it's incredible good people it's it's incredible this is they they Marvel invent it totally invented a new way of making movies, a a, a new way of making French fry movies, and <laughs> they they pulled it off and now and everyone is trying to copy it and no one else can, and and they're and they're they're doing it. It's, this is at, how do people not? This is this is the kind of thing that like the like film snobs who refuse to watch these franchise movies. This is what they're missing out on. They're missing out Scorsese's on Scorsese's out of his mind. Exactly. Like Scorsese would love this. This is this is a Endgame is a real movie. It's not it's not a franchise movie. It's not a, it's not like a it doesn't feel like any other Marvel Studios movie at least until it's the not end. A theme park. Really. Right. This is this is amazing. This is this is incredible. And I I I want more like this, I guess. I want I want more movies that have a feeling of finality and I also kind of want more of the like I mean, I guess they do this already, but like more of that thing of like, this is a payoff you could never get in any other movie because it's set up by another movie in a different franchise, sort of. Like, mm. it's it's amazing. It's amazing to me. I don't really have anything else to say. I don't. I just. I just. I. I. I think this is this is a great franchise, a great French fries, and I. Yes, I have criticisms, and yet, and and, but but overall, this is why we love this shit. <laughs> mm hmm. I think I think I've hit on basically everything that we had listed to talk about. Um, have you? What What am I missing? Highlighted. I don't know if you want to get to that now. I do want to get there. to this now. Okay, but All let, right, go. let me let me let me just say about Endgame again. Let me just say this about Endgame again because <laughs> it's really because it's really good. Like like remember remember Nerdwriter did that video about Logan and he called it superhero movies get old. And, and a little bit, yeah. And and it's about like there's different like there's four stages of like people getting sick of a genre. There's the burlesque where they're making fun of it. There's nostalgia, there where you know where they're just kind of looking back on it. There's demythologization, which is like we're taking the magic out of it. This is not in like we're we're taking the interesting part out of it, the, the mythology out of it. And then there's the reaffirmation of myth. And I think Avengers Endgame does two, maybe three of those. Like, they're doing the nostalgia thing in the second act of, like, look how much fun this is. But the first act is, like, is, like, the demythologization of, like, of, like, when Infinity War does it at the at the end, and then it, it sets up the whole first act of Endgame, which is, like, normally in superhero movies, they always win. And in this one, they lose, and they lose 
bad and they have to just sit with it. And that's, that's what I love about it is that like, it's like, these are not, these are, these are, these are heroes, but they're flawed and they're human and they can lose and they lose really, really badly. And I, I love that. I love that because it is sort of like deconstructing the normal superhero story. That's why I love that how Infinity War ends. That's why I, I, I that's what I love about Endgame is I, I think I, I think I just didn't expect Marvel to have the balls or have the guts to, or I just didn't believe that they would make a movie about actually where they actually sit with the consequences of what happens in infinity war that's what it is Mm -hmm. i didn't think they would actually make a movie about about really dealing with the consequences of the end of that movie i just didn't believe they would and i didn't i wasn't expecting to hate avengers endgame but i just didn't expect them to go in that direction and so when they did i just loved it so much more that like that's, that's why i said like i love things about trauma and that's what that first hour is it's it's about them dealing with it and I didn't, I, you know, I, I remember making jokes before Endgame came out, like, oh, this is going to be a three-hour version of The Leftovers. And it, it was a joke, but then they, they, then, they, then they did it. They actually kind of did it. And it's like, this is, this is amazing. This is amazing. They're, 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 they're stripping the magic out of the superhero genre. Then, then they're like, look how much you love this. And then the third act is the reaffirmation of the myth of like, yes, these are superheroes. And yes, you do love these stories. And y- look how much fun this is, right? That's why that's why I love Avengers Endgame. That's why I love it. And the only the only thing the only thing I have left to say is that I think one of the only sort of criticisms I have of the MCU as a whole is I don't think the MCU really says anything. Mostly doesn't really make any interesting points about anything in the real world philosophically. Mm-hmm. And I get that that's like that's like oh we don't want to be political we don't want to alienate anybody but sometimes you get interesting things when you do that i mean like like the watchmen tv show like the reason part of the reason i love that show so much was because it came after avengers endgame like it was the biggest franchise superhero finale of all time and then we got a tv show with, I mean, and that's what Watchmen is. It's like the demythologization of superheroes, right? That's what it is. That's what it's supposed to be, and that's what the show is. And it's like Watchmen, like it said, like all these normal superhero st- stuff. Like this is all bullshit. And Watchmen is like also grappling with real issues about race and what it means to be black in America. And like it, and it went all in on that issue. It didn't. Like I feel like Black Panther kind of beats around the bush on that issue, whereas Watchmen is like it's directly about like racism and white supremacy. And it's like it's actually talking about something. It actually has like something to say and like and using the superhero story to talk about something that's like actually real and grounded to me is like so cool. And the MCU doesn't really do that. And I kind of I get why they don't, but also it'd be even cooler if they did. And the Dark Knight trilogy is sort of similar, where it's like it's not alienating, but the, but it's so clear that Christopher Nolan is using the the story of Batman to talk about symbols and what symbolism means in society and how and our and our response to that. That's sort of what that franchise is, is about. Oh, if you ha- overall, if you had to assign a theme to it, I think that's sort of what it's about. And I think some of the best stories in the MCU. Besides, like, the big team-up Avengers movies, I think some of the best stories are, like, how can we use the the genre of superhero stories to say something interesting? Like, I think Iron Man 3 does a pretty good job of that. Uh, of, I think the Guardians movies usually do a pretty good job. I think especially the second one, talking about family. It's like it's using superheroes to talk about something else that's interesting. 
And I think some of the I think those are usually some of the best movies in the MCU that do that kind of thing, especially when they do it well, like Guardians. And and I I kind of want more like that. Whereas it's not like I I think I I think that's one of the things I want going forward is like don't just give me a superhero movie. Find something interesting that you can say using the superhero. You know, like 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 mm-hmm. what's the most interesting thing I can say using this character? That's what I want. And I and I want to see the in-between stories. I want to see short films. I want to see mini series with character. Like that's I think what I want going forward because I think those are the things where the MCU is lacking the most. And I think this franchise has to evolve or die. And that's it. Like that's that's why that's why Winter Soldier exists. That's why Guardians exist because that was the franchise evolving because otherwise people would get sick of it. And I think Avengers Endgame is doing a similar thing where it's like we have to actually have finality. We have to, we have to actually have endings to this universe that always feels like it's going on forever. Because if mm-hmm. we don't, people are going to get sick of it. So that's right. that's what I want from the MCU going forward. What about you? Uh, yeah, I I, th- I think you hit most of the major points of what anyone would want going forward and one of the one of the things that kevin feige said probably in relation to this what's his name pearl matter mutter guy he, he i think a few years ago he said like if if this universe doesn't get more diverse in terms of the people we cast and the stories we tell i'm out and if, if you take a look at the the phase four announcement and they have like all the cast of who's going to be in phase four It is a much more diverse looking group of people than it is going into phase two or phase three. Right. So. Like, like there was, there was that, I remember after they did that phase four announcement, they had someone posted the shot of like the phase one team. And it was like a bunch of white guys and then Scarlett Johansson and then Sam Jackson. And then you look yeah. at, you look at the phase four team and it's like, there's, first of all, there's like 10 times as many people involved because they're telling so mm-hmm. many stories with so many characters and so many directors. And it's like, it's not just a bunch of white guys. It's like a bunch of men and a bunch of women. There's white people, there's black people, there's Asian people. There's, I think there's a, isn't there a deaf woman in the Eternals? Like, yeah, yeah. like, yeah, they're get they're getting more diverse and I, and, and using more diverse filmmaking. Like, it's not just a bunch of white guys directing either. It's more diverse filmmakers. And like, Diversity is good because when you get people from different walks of life and different backgrounds and different cultures, it they bring more they bring different ideas to the table. Like like you know, and what I want in movies is like I want good, interesting new ideas. That's what that's what I want. And like if if sometimes that means you have to diversify the group that you're picking people from in order to get new different ideas. And and they're doing that, and I like that. I'm excited for that. And 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 I'm excited for things like you know I'm excited for Captain Marvel two I'm excited for the Eternals I'm excited for Shang Chi I'm excited for I'm excited for WandaVision just because that's just because that's, that's going to be trippy as hell like it's going to be fun yeah. like that's the other thing is like that that has the potential to be extremely weird and trippy and that would be very different from what we've seen in the MCU and I'll say, I, it's like I like that that's what I want because it it has to, it has to we have to change somewhere we can't keep doing the same thing over and over again yeah. I think one thing I'm looking forward to, and I'm not I'm not very optimistic about it, but I hope there's a chance maybe is look, we we've we've already done the big team assemble. We've done that with the Infinity Saga, and the next time you do it, it's probably not going to be as good. You can try with the X Men and Fantastic Four and all these great new people that you have with the Fox acquisition, but if you do like a universal threat where the 
half of life is at stake, it's probably not going to be as good as what you just did. So what I would like to see is I'd like maybe some stories that just stand alone a little bit more where maybe maybe Shang-Chi dies at the end of his movie. But you tell a really good movie in that story and there's no expectation of like, oh, well, he's of course he's going to be in the next one because he has to be. That's how this universe works. And I'm not saying Shang-Chi specifically, but wouldn't it be nice if there were just like some isolated standalone stories where we don't get this automatic sequel that we know is going to happen? Can't we just tell a low stake story and then move on to the next character? Not everything has to have a sequel and a payoff 10 years later. Right. And, and, and you know what? That's the argument for, um, for the, for the DC movies. Like, not necessarily the DCEU, but just like DC movies in general. Like, I know they're trying to do this shared universe thing, but they're clearly not pulling it off well. And maybe there is something about like, like the reason Joaquin Phoenix, like, finally signed on to do a superhero movie is because it's like, it's just one movie. We're not locking you into like a five film contract. We're going to shoot it like a Scorsese movie. You know what I mean? And like, it, and and you know there's going to be no sequel. Like I haven't seen I haven't seen the Joker movie. Okay, I, but but like one of the nice things about that movie when I do see it is that if it sucks, I never have to think about it again because there's there's no there's no sequel. And if if it's good, I still never have to think about it again. Like like I was I was watching I was watching this conversation between Patrick Willems and and Griffin Newman, and and he was talking about the Joker in Suicide Squad. And he was like, fuck, am I signed up for 10 years of the fucking Jared Leto Joker now? Like, is that how right. this works? Like, right. is that what I have to deal with now for another another decade? Like, and I just, I, I laughed out loud because it's like, it's true. He's right. Like, like, and like you and I were kind of joking the other day, like, what is DC doing? Like, there's this, there's this rumor going around, you know, of like, that like, there's going to be Batman, uh, uh, like Ben Affleck's Batman is going to be in the Flash movie and then... And then he's also going to be in a movie with Robert Pattinson or like there's some like it's like we're kind of joking that DC doesn't know what they're doing. But like maybe maybe DC can do something different. Like maybe DC should do something different. Like maybe the franchise is Batman and it's just what are different stories we can tell with Batman? What are different ways we can do it? And maybe they don't all have to be connected. Maybe we can get different actors to do it every time because we, we want to do a different spin on the character. Like mm-hmm. maybe that's fine. You know what I mean? Or like do or do it like Star Wars. We're like. Star Wars seems to be doing this thing now where, like, they're, I think they're trying to get away from, like, this, the franchise shared universe thing. Because I don't think it worked out super well with Solo and stuff. But, like, you look at The Mandalorian or Clone Wars. Well, Clone Wars is not a good example. But Mandalorian is, like, it's not really connected to anything. And why, mm-hmm. why can't we have a shared universe where it's, like, yeah, there's a bunch of different stories in here, but none of them ever all connect to each other. Maybe a couple of them cross over, but none right. of them ever all come together. Why can't we have a shared universe like that? Why can't we have a superhero franchise where there is no shared universe and it is just, here's a Batman movie with, with Robert Pattinson, here's a Batman movie with Ben Affleck, here's a Batman movie with Michael Keaton again, whatever. Like, wh- like that could be another way to do franchises. And like, because like... I love the shared universe thing of the MCU, but that doesn't need to be everything. Like, not mm-hmm. every franchise needs to be that. I don't want every movie to be like, like, okay, now I'm invested for another seven years of this character. What, like, I, I, I. That's the nice thing about a movie versus a TV show is like there is an ending. Mm-hmm. Like, this is going back to what I said about Endgame and finality. Like, 
there is an ending. It's a self-contained story. That's nice sometimes. Why don't? Why not do that? I get that Marvel's never going to do that. They're already on this kick. But DC could. Star Wars mm-hmm. kind of could. Star Wars could be like, well, this show is its own thing. That show is its own thing. This movie is its own thing. And none of it ever crosses over. It's all the same universe, but that, that doesn't, you don't need to know that. That could be cool too. Well, I, I think I think you're being a little too pessimistic about the MCU. There, there's a chance that we get this. What if what if She-Hulk is just an eight-episode drama about a lawyer and she never shows up again, but it's a really good drama about a lawyer and we move on from the character? And what if it's the same thing with Moon Knight and characters like that? I, I mean, of course, we have to expect that they'll show up in a movie or again somewhere else eventually. But I think we there still is a chance that this happens in this universe. Well, I think I think maybe you're right. I mean, I kind of forgot about Moon Knight. Moon Knight seems like the kind of thing that maybe it is so weird and and crazy that it they could they do, they wouldn't want to bring it to a movie or they want it's best to leave it as its own thing. She-Hulk maybe is something simple. Believe me, there's nothing in the world I want more than the She-Hulk show to be a courtroom drama written by Aaron Sorkin. There's nothing I want, but they're not going to do that. But but you know what? I mean, you're you're onto something. Miss Marvel, they're making that a TV show that she probably will come into the movies, right? Yeah. And and it's and they said the WandaVision show is going to connect to Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, which is a great title for a movie. Like, mm-hmm. you know, like, but you're maybe maybe you're onto something. Maybe you're right, and maybe the MCU will start doing more self-contained things. I think I think the Phase Four lineup is interesting. That there isn't an Avengers movie at the end of it. There isn't a team-up movie at the end of it. You know, the Eternals right. movie is probably I think probably takes place a long time in the past, and it's sort of its own thing. The Black Widow movie is about a character that we know dies later, so they can't do more. Like, maybe you're right. Maybe the MCU will do this thing of like, well, yeah, it's all a shared universe, but not everything has to connect anymore. Maybe they will do right. that. Like, I mean, again, going back to what I said, like, I, I think this, you know, this French fries <laughs> has to has to evolve or die, and and I think I think. Um, the big team up stuff is a little exhausting, especially after something as huge as Avengers Endgame. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm kind of I mean the best thing to come out of this pandemic is the delay of Black Widow because it gives us more time to just sit in the ending of that movie in the end of the Infinity Saga. Like if they picked it up too quickly after that, I I, I don't think it would have been as effective. I think it's so effective the longer they wait to put out something else. That's mm-hmm. I mean. So yeah, maybe maybe you're right. Maybe maybe the Disney Plus stuff will be more standalone. All right. Um I'm looking through this doc. I think we I don't think we need to talk about this, do we? Oh, that's right. Let's okay, so okay, so now we've covered the movies. Let's move on to the t- <laughs> television. <laughs> um oh my god. So the okay, so the Marvel so the Marvel television shows. So let, let's tell a little story. <laughs> okay, what's your story? Go. All right. So there was an idea to <laughs> start a television universe that is still in the MCU, but it all takes place on Netflix. And Netflix made a bunch of shows, and I'm, I get like the legal stuff a little blurry here, but they made Daredevil, Jessica Jones, Luke Cage – Defenders, Punisher, Iron Fist. Some of it's really good. Some of it's not good at all. The idea was that these are all taking place in the MCU and they do sort of connect to Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and some other random stuff like that. And the hope that a lot of people had was that these characters would make it onto the big screen and maybe in an Avengers movie. That never happened because it's not being made by Marvel Studios. It's being made by Netflix. 
Well, and well, and even and even even then, it's being produced by Marvel Television, which is under Marvel Marvel Entertainment, which is again Marvel Studios moved out from underneath Marvel Entertainment. So it, you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, but yes, you're right. Yeah, and so the big question here is: Is this stuff still real? <laughs> Daredevil season three, which is fantastic, mm-hmm. takes place after Infinity War in terms of release date. Do you either declare this not canon anymore, or do you say, "Oh, it just took place before Infinity War, and that's why half the characters are still there"? I th- I think you you just say it takes place before um, Infinity War, but I mean, I think the thing about the MCU is that uh, the Netflix stuff in the MCU is that I've always felt like the Netflix MCU stuff feels a, feels a little different. It's got a little bit of a different vibe than the movies. Totally. Maybe that's because it's just um, it's trying to it's trying to be a little more adult. It's trying to be, you know, it's more spaced out because it's it's episodic. Um, lower stakes. Lower stakes. It all it's just about what's happening in New York. I like that a lot. I had this. I have this in the bad section of the MCU, but I the I like the Netflix stuff a lot. Over. I mean, not all of it's good, but I like the idea of it a lot. About how it's a little more adult and it's more. Uh, it's small and it's smaller stakes, and I like that a lot. And I think it's a shame that um, Marvel doesn't want to do stuff like that because they have to make it all connected to their universe. But like you said, maybe that's changing. Well, uh, hopefully that changes. We'll have to see. But I would like to see more stuff like that that is smaller scale um, yeah. and doesn't have to connect to everything, and and a little more adult. Right. Yeah. That was these shows are a lot darker, a lot grittier than the rest of the MCU, and. I don't know how much of our audience is familiar with these shows. I, I Check them out. Check some of them out, maybe. Oh, Matt, um, don't worry. Thing, no one's listening to this anymore. I know. I know. <laughs> but the, the thing to keep your eye on is come November of 2020, the, the rights to these characters, Daredevil, Jessica Jones, go back to Marvel Studios, and they... I'm really interested to see what they do, because I think they're definitely going to bring these characters back. I'm hoping they keep some of the same actors i feel like every other month i hear a rumor that charlie cox wants to be matt murdoch again in like mcu proper like (laughs) yeah yeah of course i i i hope they do something with these characters because there's a lot of good stuff here that could be used in a spider-man movie or something like that or or just bring it on to disney plus and make make a daredevil season four but it's something to keep your eye on Right, right. And of course, the whole Spider-Man thing is, is probably going to be a fiasco forever. I mean, yes, I'm kind of I'm kind of worried about that because like I, at a certain point, they're they're going to have to either negotiate. They're going to either have to keep negotiating with Sony forever or they're going to have to say they're going to have to put an end to Peter Parker in the MCU because they're like, mm-hmm. we just can't keep negotiating this over and over again, which yeah. is kind of a shame. Um Hopefully they do just keep negotiating forever and ever, but yeah, that's that's a whole that's a whole catastrophe right there. Um, but yeah, I mean, we'll. I hope to see more stuff like the Netflix MCU stuff, um, mm-hmm. because it was different and it a lot of it was really good. Like when it was good, it was like really really great. So yeah. I would like to see more of that. I just I just I don't know what Marvel's going to do. Like I again, I really hope they they are able to integrate some of these other things and, and have some new ideas and, and do some like, like when I, when I, when we first started talking about, Oh, we should do an episode of our podcast where we just talk about the MCU. I was going to 
do a lot of complaining about how Marvel will never do this. Marvel Studios would never do something like the Netflix stuff where they, they would just never, because it all has to connect to their movies. And why can't they just... But the more I think about it, I think maybe you're right that they they are going to have to do different things and they can't have everything connect all the time and they are just going to have to leave stuff on the table sometimes because it just becomes too much. And I hope they do. They'll either have to do that or it'll be over. No one will care anymore. Or maybe people will still pay for a ticket. I don't know. I'm sure someone. I'm sure I still will because I'm a sucker. Oh, but, of course. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, right. then, should, and then I would – what's that? Should we get to the rankings? Or well, I, I, something you I, touch on? I, wanna get, I just want to give a shout out to Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., which was the first Marvel television show, the first show Marvel made, which was still – they were still trying to integrate it with the MCU sort of where like the season – like season one leads up to the events of Winter Soldier and then the events of Winter Soldier have an effect on the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. TV show, which was mm-hmm. mind-blowing to see that happen. You yeah. know, like that was a really cool thing that, they, you know, that – Maybe they could do that again. Maybe they could do that again now with a show where, you know, the first half oh, of the I, season I think they will. comes out before a movie and then a movie happens and that changes what happens for the rest of the season of the show. That would be – like that, that That kind of stuff is really, really cool. I would love to see more like that. And I just want to give a shout out to Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. for being the longest lasting MCU show, Marvel show. Like I can't it, believe they made it that long. I know. Like and And they had Clark Gregg come back as Phil Coulson for like the entire show and like – and the show, and what was fun about the show is it took uh, it took absolutely wild turns. Like it was always consistent, and it at times really, really great. Like it was a really good show all the way through. And it just took it just took on some wild turns. Like they they did like the LMD storyline, they did the Inhuman storyline. I know there Ghost was Rider. In, they did Ghost Rider, and they did the Robbie Ray's Ghost Rider, the more like modern one. Like they did a lot of cool stuff on that show that like. I guess they just didn't didn't weren't sure if it would were, they weren't sure where to put it in the regular MCU or it didn't want to be used in the regular MCU like Ghost Rider or something and it was just it was just cool because it sort of became like a catch all for like smaller MCU stories that probably wouldn't get told anywhere else and then it outlasted every other Marvel show which is somehow I don't even know how that that was amazing like yeah <laughs> but I just wanted to give it a shout out because it it just it, it just had their their series finale after seven seasons. And it was just real. It was just really fun. It was just really good. And I and I like and I like the show a lot. And that's all I have to say about that. Yeah, it's worth a shout out. And also, I think it's I think it's weird that they never were able to call Rosario Dawson in the Netflix MCU. They could never call her the Night Nurse because Marvel said no. We're going to use the name Night Nurse for what's her face's character in Doctor Strange. So you can't call your character Night Nurse. But then they never call her Night Nurse in Doctor Strange. Whatever. <laughs> w- whatever. <laughs> we'll let that one go. Yeah, yeah. That, that's that's my one complaint about the MCU. <laughs> All right, let's get to our rankings here. All right, let's do it. You go first because you have it pulled up and I don't. Okay, my twenty third out of twenty three movies. Oh, we're going from the bottom. Okay, of course, of course, I gotta go. For that. Oh, you're right. You're so right. All right, I think the worst movie in the entire MCU, Avengers Endgame, twenty second, Iron Man two. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> Not kidding. Not kidding anymore. 23. Worst movie in the entire universe. The Incredible Hulk. I agree. Iron it's, Man it's, 2. It's it's my number three. It's my number 23 as well. Oh, you want, you want right. to just do your whole list and I'll do mine? Yeah. Okay. Is that fine? Sorry. All right. All right. 23. Incredible Hulk. 22. Iron Man 2. 21. Thor The Dark World. Iron Man 3. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. Captain America The First Avenger. Thor. Doctor Strange. Ant-Man. Black Panther. Ant-Man and the Wasp. 
Captain Marvel. And now everything after here, this is where we get into like A tier, A tier, S tier. Oh, because this is top 10. This is number 11, actually. Okay. But I think A tier starts with 11. Okay. Captain America, the Winter Soldier. Spider-Man Homecoming. Thor Ragnarok. Spider-Man Far From Home. Guardians of the Galaxy. Avengers. Iron Man. Avengers Age of Ultron. Avengers Endgame. Captain America Civil War. Avengers Infinity War. That's it. Wow, that's interesting. That's very different. For, the, the, the top few is not that different. Um, I, I did rearrange a lot of these things over the last week, rewatching some movies. I noticed, because I remember looking at your list like a few months ago and disagreeing with it. But so you, so you're, okay, so your number one is Infinity War. Yes. Then give me your top five. Iron Man, Age of Ultron, Endgame, Civil War, Infinity War. And, uh, can you start with number one, please? I'm, I'm getting confused here. <laughs> start with number one. Infinity War. Avengers Infinity War. Yeah. Captain America Civil War. Avengers Endgame. Avengers Age of Ultron. Iron Man. Okay. All right. That's interesting. I think that's a pretty good list right there. That's pretty That's pretty good. I'm, I'm a lot prouder of that. Civil War better than Endgame. I, I can't. I don't know if I can do that. I've, I've questioned if Civil War is better than Infinity War, but I can't say it's better than Endgame. But <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. All right. Here's my list starting at the bottom. Incredible Hulk, I think, is the worst one. And then, and then number twenty-two, Thor: The Dark World. I think they're both equally bad, but I I put Hulk last because it's like it's, it's not even the right casting. Like it doesn't even count. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um. So going up, Hulk, Thor: Dark World, First Avenger. I just don't really care for it. It, it. Like the first hour is pretty good, and then it really falls off. Then Black Panther, the first Thor movie, Ant Man, then Ant Man and the Wasp, Iron Man Two, Doctor Strange. Captain Marvel, Avengers Age of Ultron, Iron Man 3, Spider-Man Far From Home. That doesn't feel right. Far From Home should be lower. Anyway. <laughs> um, Guardians 2, Spider-Man Homecoming, Guardians 1, Ragnarok, Iron Man 1. Here's my top five. Ready? Number five, the first Avengers movie. Just the Avengers. Number four, Captain America the Winter Soldier. Number three, Captain America Civil War, number two, Avengers Infinity War, number one, Avengers Endgame. It's a good list. It's a pretty good list. I, I think it's interesting that like my top my top four is all Russo brothers. <laughs> right. <That laughs> I, think, really I think that's really interesting. <laughs> that's my top three. <laughs> They're good. They're good at what they do. They are. They really are. All right. Well, <laughs> this this has this has been uh let's see how long did we go here we went a little almost over almost four hours we went almost four hours but that's okay that's okay we had a lot to say would you have wanted less Ex- well exactly <laughs> i wouldn't have everyone else would have though <laughs> right but to those who are still listening you must you must be as big a fan as we are so i <laughs> hope you're excited too also i'm sorry <laughs> <laughs> all right so that's it that's our, that's our that's our uh, mega super jam packed uh, MCU episode. This has been the Marvel Cinematic Universe the, and, and our rankings of the MCU. Uh, any final thoughts? We're never going to talk about these again. We're not allowed. That's no. Oh, I I don't think that's going to work. I don't think it's going to happen. <laughs> I don't. I don't think that's possible. I just don't think it's realistic. <laughs> might, Stay might... tuned next month for our spoiler slot on Black Widow. <laughs> Is that next month? No, it's no, November. No. All right. All right. This is this was fun. Uh, 
I, I can't believe we did this. <laughs> I can't, I can't believe we made it all the way through. This is great. This is great. This all right. Is, thank you for fantastic. listening. Until next time. Bye-bye. To anyone who actually made it through this entire episode, I love you 3,000. Bye-bye.